As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. There's no crying in baseball! I ate his liver with some father beans. I skinned. If I can change, and you can change, everybody can change! And welcome to another episode of Your Next Favorite Movie. I'm your host, Josh G. Today, we have a returning five-time, five-time, five-time returning guest. Wow, I didn't know it was that high, but yeah, I think that's right. Please welcome back author Anthony Brownlee to the show. What's up? I actually didn't know it was five times. I think it's five <laughs> times. I hope I counted that out right, but I think it is. Right. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, outside of my semi-regular co-host Chad and Chris, yeah, you've definitely been on the most, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll look i'll take that so last time we left you you had just finished editing your book and was sending it off to a cover artist i think so what's the latest update yeah. on the latest book well that particular cover artist actually had to find a new one the one i originally had was having um some health issues so oh. i uh you know didn't want to burden him with you know a book cover if, you know, if he's going through something like that. So I actually found somebody on Twitter who, you know, through the uh, writing community who, you know, is a really good artist and, you know, he offered to do my uh, book cover for me. So hopefully within the next few months, everything should be put together. Okay. All right. Now, all these times you've always had this other project that we've never talked about. But this is the episode to give away some. Now, obviously, when you're hearing this about a month ago, you just had the world premiere of this. But and I don't know how much you want to say or how much you can say, but tell everybody a little bit about Fred Heads, the documentary. Well, Fred has the documentary. It definitely was a journey. <laughs> Took five years uh, to actually film everything that we wanted, you know, to get put out there and we finally were able to do the world premiere uh last saturday so almost a week ago it made its premiere uh, at whorehound convention in cincinnati it was exciting it was scary i mean there was just so many emotions because we had put so much into it and we were just hoping that people would get what we were trying to say through this doc and Pretty much all the seats that they had were, you know, filled and, you know, which really made us happy. And once the film was done, you know, we, we did a QA, and a uh, me and the director and the rest of the crew. And I mean, it was just, you know, it was just an awesome time. It, you know, it was just, you know, something that just finally, you know, came into fruition for all this time. And just glad that it's out there now. Okay. So why don't you... Tell everybody like you were telling me about letting them know how they could reach out and possibly get it to come to their town. Um, well, you can always uh, check all of our sites. We're on pretty much all the social medias. Uh, just Fred Headstock. Just drop any location that you think would be a good one. You know, if your town has a you know cool theater, anything like that um, that we could just travel to and you know premiered there that's what we've been telling people we've made posts like you know just drop your favorite spots to where you, you'd like to see it or hope to hope that you would want to see it 
we're taking anything. So uh, just go ahead and feel free. And that's just Fred Heads on all the social media platforms? Fred Heads Doc. Fred Heads Doc. There you go. Fred Heads Doc. <laughs> all right. Well, that leads perfectly to our topic of discussion for tonight as we're going to be talking about the whole Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So, of course, let's kick it off. We're going back to November 16th, 1984, where it all began. A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. Nightmare on Elm Street. No! She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one will survive. Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street rated R. All right, so obviously you <laughs> came on and did Nightmare on Elm Street last year. That was your first appearance. But for those who maybe didn't tune into that and tuning into this, why don't you tell that famous story of when you first saw A Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> uh, well, I first saw Nightmare when I was five years old. I was at my cousin's house. Um, there's three of them, and my aunt actually had asked us if we wanted to sit down and watch this movie. And we are like, uh, yeah, you know, what is it? And she wouldn't tell us. So, you know, as kids, you know, we're just like, yeah, yeah, we want to see, we want to see it. What is it? And, you know, she pulls out this VHS tape that's been recorded off of HBO. <laughs> so it's not the actual film, but, it, but a copy, how we all used to do it back in the day. And she popped it in and, you know, that famous, you know, opener where you just see, you know, Freddie's, you know, feet just kind of walking in the boiler room and him just making that glove. I mean, we just had no idea. I mean, at that age, we had heard of Freddy Krueger. I mean, because, you know, this would have been around 91, 92. So pretty much all the nightmares had come by that point. And so, of course, we knew that name. But film wise, like being so young, we had never really seen the films. And I just remember just within those first few minutes, I was already just freaking out. You know, it it got me that fast. That's what I love about Wes Craven. You know, he, you know, he's really good at, you know, capturing his audience, like, you know, in that way. And when that, you know, movie, you know, just, just went on, like, you know, we just sat there just like kind of like in, you know, in awe over it. But at the same time, we were so freaked out. But it was doing something to me the whole time we were watching it and you know i didn't obviously didn't know at that at that stage like what it was doing but i mean it was really just embedding itself into me and you know that's why i'm pretty much just like you know a geek over a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm, I'm sure you're gonna even know more than me because you are the nightmare expert which is why i recruited you for this episode <laughs> but let's give everyone a little background let's talk about where Wes craven got this idea because he was reading what some back then it was newspaper articles i guess about these mm -hmm. southeast asian refugees who were dying in their sleep doing right. hiding hiding coffee makers in their closet like you see in the film that was mm -hmm. literally what he was reading about I think it was three teenagers. They all died in their sleep and they were tr all trying to fight it, scared to go to sleep. Right. So that's where the original idea came from. And of course, for those that don't know the name Fred Krueger, because if you pay attention to the first film, he's not even called Freddy. I don't think, man, Nancy may say Freddy, but it's mostly Fred. It's mostly Fred yeah. Krueger. 
It's mostly I think she's she says Freddie the few yeah. but mostly it is Fred. Which course and you I'm sure you know this the name of his childhood bully on his like mm-hmm. what paper route, I think. Something like yeah, for him yeah. and like just a little bully in school, which I mean that name itself, I mean it it, it it's a strong name. I mean Freddy Krueger. I mean it just it yeah. sounds scary. <laughs> yeah. Just you know. And 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 if and if you can't buy that, just go back to his well not previous film to this, but one of his earliest films, Last House on the Left, the bad guy's name, Krug. Short Krug. for Kruger. I mean Mm-hmm. I know you've seen that. Did you go back and check out oh, like yeah. all of Wes's stuff after seeing this? Like, when was it you got around to his other stuff that wasn't a nightmare? It was um pretty early on because I know I saw people under the stairs pretty early on because that came out around the time when I first saw Nightmare, and you know people under the stairs was just you know a different type of horror film, and I love that one from first watch, and you know that one kind of freaked me out too. And then the other one was just, you know, kind of slowly came. I didn't see Last House on the Left till I was probably like a teenager. Um, I probably would not have been able to watch that one at six and seven years old. Um, I my, Like my parents and family, they didn't mind like the us, you know, just watching horror films because it was just fun back then. But but Last House on the Left, that was that was hardcore. So yeah. I don't I don't think I would have been able to watch that as a kid. <laughs> but as I did as a teenager. Not think it came on TV is how I saw it. I, I don't think I rented it at Blockbuster or anything. I think it came on TV, like IFC or something like that. So I saw it in its like entirety. Oh. And okay. so Okay. I, I like that one a lot. It's it's dark. It's really dark, but Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you haven't seen that, go check it out. But it is it's a tough watch though. It's not yeah. it's not a pleasant watch. So I guess be, <laughs> be prepared for what you're getting yourself into. Oh, and then, of course, yeah. <laughs> we gotta go with the outfit. How he got this outfit about the man he saw out his window, and like what he ducked mm-hmm. down and waited a couple minutes, and when he stood back up, the guy was still standing there staring at him. Imagine how creepy that would like, be as a kid. That, uh, oh yeah, and I think he said he was like five or six. Yeah, he was young. That'd be terrifying as a kid. And he said that the man's face was like so dirty because I guess he was you know like a vagrant that. It almost looked like, you know, burnt scars or, you know, just something on his face. It just made made the man look kind of otherworldly a little bit because he was so, you know, I guess, dirty. And Wester said he always just kind of kept that vision in his mind about, you know, what this man looked like, which, you know, kind of ultimately became, you know, the look of, you know, Freddy Krueger as we know him in the films. Hey, now, here's, here's what I want you to do, because... You were telling me before we hit record about this rare deleted scene you have on a special VHS. I want you to tell people that because a lot of people probably don't know that, that this VHS has deleted scenes that didn't transport to the DVD and Blu-ray copies, right? Like it's not right. anywhere else but this VHS. Yeah. You don't tell about okay. all of them. I don't expect you to remember every one, but I know you have one particular favorite anyway. Well, this... VHS came out around 95, 96, around the time the Laserdisc came out when they remastered the film for the first time. So this disc holds, or sorry, not disc, but VHS holds the first film. And the second VHS is all the deleted scenes. And there are about, it's close to 30 minutes worth of deleted scenes. And I've only ever seen maybe one or two of them on YouTube. 
which is really a shame because there's so much more to this movie than people probably have ever thought. And one of my particular favorites is one with Nancy. Um, this would be towards the end of the film when she's in her final dream, when she's calling Freddie out and she takes off running after he runs into her. And then she's on the ledge of the stairs and she jumps. And when she jumps, it cuts and then she lands in her front yard. But one of the lead, the deleted scene that was supposed to be there was once she jumps, it's supposed to cut to her being in, well, she doesn't realize at the time she's in the sky and she's behind blue screen and you just see kind of like the, uh, well, you don't see the machine, but they're just releasing like the, the dust cloud. So it just looks like, you know, she's falling down through the clouds and, you know, she just keeps falling and falling and she doesn't realize like where she is and or how far up she is until the, the smoke kind of clears and she's like, you know, hundreds of feet in the air and then she just screams and then she lands in her front yard. And I've always loved that. And that was like one scene I wish, you know, they had kept in because it was just so interesting because, you know, Wes's mind, you know, that thing of, you know, the old wives tale of, they say, if you, you know, fall from a great height in your sleep, then you die in real life. And Nancy obviously didn't, which kind of for, for Wes to say like, no, that's not, that's not what's going to kill you in your dream. It's, something else in your dreams that's going to kill you. And I always thought that was like a really cool little uh, like parallel that he, you know, kind of put in there with that. But, you know, it ultimately never made it into the film. And, you know, it's sad that it's never, you know, actually been released on any type of, you know, disc transfer, um, any of these deleted scenes. Um, so it's really only the people that have this VHS really know about it i don't and you know some some people may have had it years ago and you know once v or vhs started you know kind of fading out they may have given given it away and you know probably don't even remember a lot of it um i actually still watch the vhs when i can still so i, I actually have you know taken it to friends houses who still have vcrs and like let them see it for the first time so a lot of them it's just like you know this wow moment because right. they've never okay, so so being on VHS, I guess you don't get anything as cool as like a little commentary to talk about why this didn't make it in because that would have been cool to have like hearing Wes talk about it. I yeah. doubt on VHS well, you got that, but not on VHS, but the laser disc they had the commentary about it because because Heather in the commentary, Heather even mentions it where she's she's I remember I was flying like through space or flying. You know, something she couldn't, you know, was trying to remember. And Wes was like, yeah, we had you in the back of, you know, blue screen and you were falling from a great distance. And, you know, because actually when you watched it on, on the VHS, the sound is missing. That's the only track in all those deleted scenes where there's actually no sound. Every other deleted scene that actually has sound and dialogue. But for some reason, they lost the, the audio track on that particular scene. So I don't know if that's why they cut it or if that happened later when they rediscovered it around that time. So this, like I said, this would have been around 95, 96. Okay, interesting. Yeah, like I said before, you told me I didn't know that exists because I never had this VHS and nope, don't know anything about it. <laughs> All right. So for anyone that may not know, 
I'm gonna let you go into because you'll probably remember the details and I do not. Why don't you talk about some of these alternate endings this movie had and what it could have been, how it could have been? Oh, well, they pretty much all end on the same note. But uh, so the one that we all know, uh, Nancy steps on the porch. Uh, her mom joins her, and then her friends pull up. She gets in the car with her friends, and then we realize that Freddie is the car. You know, slamming the hood down, locking the doors, rolling up the windows, uh, and then drives them off, and then. Marge, Nancy's mother, gets sucked through the little window <laughs> through the door, which mm-hmm. always, you know, even as a kid, kind of cracked me up. Yeah, a cheesy um, looking scene for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but so Wes's original ending was that it ended on a happy note because, you know, he didn't want there to be any sequels to this movie. So in the alternate, the first alternate ending, Nancy, you know, gets off the porch, goes to the car and just, and they all drive off and, you know, wave off her mom and she, you know, she says, you know, bye mom. And, you know, she's Marge is waving them off, but she's just on the porch smiling. And then it just pans to the girl singing the song. And then it, it, then it ends that way. So it ends on this happy note, but then also this kind of uh, ominous, you know, presence of the girl still jump roping. So that's one of them. And, one of the second ones is, you know, everything starts to happen in the car like it did. But this time, all her friends kind of disappear in the car. She's screaming for her mom. And then now she realize that Freddie's actually behind the wheel of the car driving it with Nancy in the passenger seat, which would have been like crazy. Like, you know, if they did that one, like, you know, he's just there's this, this image of him like on the wheel. And he's just like because the way they have it is she's kind of like leaned over so you don't really see like who's driving it she kind of goes back a little and his head is just facing toward him with that smile that he has and then like she turns and realizes him and then he's just kind of laughing as he's driving her away in this car so that was another and then one ends where nancy gets off off the porch goes into the car waves by to her mom and her friends and then they're fine but then the mom still gets sucked through the window so so that one kind of ended like good for Nancy and her friends, but still ended bad for the mom. So honestly, I feel like I if if I could have picked any three of those for me, I would have picked that one, just because you know Nancy gave Nancy that ending, but then like you know the mom since she was one of the ones that you know still couldn't get behind the fact that Freddie was actually you know still you know alive in this you know supernatural way, kind of gives that you know kind of finish for Nancy though. So always kind of irked me a little bit. Like, you know, she really did defeat him. And then, like, you know, you had the ending. But, you know, through the rest of the series or the and even through the comics, that that was just a nightmare of Nancy's that was still going on. She had defeated Freddie, but it was another nightmare after the fact. So obviously, you know, look at it that way from that angle with that ending. All right. Is there anything you want to say about the original nightmare before we move on? Um, that is just like the greatest horror film ever made. Um, Don't worry, we'll we'll be doing rankings at the end. In my humble opinion, um, but no, I mean, I will say it. It's inspired me. Um, I don't think I'd be the author that I am without that movie because that movie is what made me want to tell stories. Because I think it's such a good story. Um, it's more than 
it it wasn't really a typical eighties horror movie of that time period. You know, it seemed like all the other horror films had a particular formula, some guy or, you know, random cases, a woman, you know, behind a mask or in the shadows, you know, chopping kids' heads off, doing this, doing that. But to me, Nightmare was deeper than that. I really don't consider Nightmare a slasher film. Like I said, because it's, it's more deeper than that. It's, that's what I actually almost want to call Nightmare like an early example in the 80s realm of like elevated horror you know it's you know it's very with a purpose and you know you and you don't have those stereotypical arts of the characters you know these are different characters in this different situation so it's it's inspired me for years and i find myself constantly chasing nightmare to almost get that same high that i got when i first watched it it was my first horror film and yeah. you know, trying to get that high of that that feeling that that first horror film that really got me so it's you know it nightmare it, it's it's to me it's really it's a really special film okay so and we'll talk about as we go through these do you think eventually it becomes a slasher series like not including the first one do you think it goes there I've actually kind of like debated that a little bit. I mean, obviously we know it gets a little bit, you know, the, the darkness fades and there there's more comedic, you know, tones to it. But even still, there's still this level of elevation to it because it's dreams, you know, it's, this isn't something you can like run away from or fake your death or, you know, call the police about it or, I mean, or anything because it, it's all up here. Like, you have to sleep. Yep. No way know? around it. <laughs> no way around. I mean, you can avoid it for so long, but eventually sleep will catch up with you. And, you know, what do you, and to me, that that's scary because I I know there are days, I mean, when I think like, man, days when I'm like super tired and then like, man, can you imagine just being in that situation and nightmare where you can't let yourself sleep because something's going to get you? I mean, that's I mean, that is hard. It's hard trying to, like, stay awake when you're, like, exhausted. I mean, it, it, to, that's why I think, to me, even still, even more, even though, like I said, when it got a little bit more comedic, it, it's just the dream factor. I mean, it that's still so real because everybody has nightmares. So I, I still, even later on, don't really put too much of a slasher vibe on it okay and and we'll talk through some of those scenarios as we move on but as we transition each film i have a little little game i want to play <laughs> and just and, and i don't expect you to know offhand but maybe you've looked it up but i'm going to give you the budget and i want you to try to guess what this movie made so we'll start with the original came in with a low budget of 1.1 million how much mm-hmm. do you think the original nightmare made I know you've looked at these I, things at least some point. I, yeah, I think, I think the original made about twenty five k. If I'm not, I mean, well, twenty five k plus. <laughs> I'm, I can't remember like the exact number, like twenty five thousand three hundred eighty nine. I mean, but I I'm think talking about, I'm talking about overall, overall. Over. Wait, when it initially opened, or you mean like from from then up to like now? Well, I guess total gross. I guess now, yeah. Total gross now. So yeah, I mean, it'd be theatrically, but still. The, the theatrical, I think, I think it was twenty five. I'm pretty, 
if I'm not mistaken. I think it was twenty five thousand. I know you don't think it's twenty five thousand when the movie costs one point one million. Oh, I'm totally saying that. <laughs> I know. I just realized that you said twenty five million dollars is what I'm twenty five mil. I kept. I don't know why I was thinking twenty five k in my head. Twenty twenty five mil. Yeah, that's why I was like, I'm not letting that be the final guess. There's no, no, yeah, no way you think like, it was. Yeah, I, yeah. That would be a failure. There would never have been a sequel if it made twenty five thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For anybody listening, it's like it's like one forty where I am right now. Okay, so. <laughs> Me too, but these are my hours, so it's normal. <laughs> yeah, these are, this is his peak. So. <laughs> but no, you'd be pleasantly surprised to know. 57 million. 57. So is that counted domestic-wise, too? Or domestic and international? I guess so, based on the numbers I found. Yeah, I think it's everything. Okay. okay. That's so with that, a movie that costs $1.1 million, makes $57 million. It's the 80s. Guess what? We're getting a sequel. And guess what? We're getting it the next year. So on no- November 1st, 1985, we get A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Watch out for him. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. Freddy is back on Elm Street, and he's not a welcome visitor. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Freddy's Revenge, rated R from New Line Cinema. Now, I haven't talked to you about this one as much. So what's your story on when you first saw this one? I was eight when I saw um, Freddy's Revenge for the first time. I actually had borrowed it from my older cousin um, because I had a friend who was like staying over my house and I wanted like, you know, some movies. And I was like, I haven't seen that one. And so so we got that one and that one. I mean, it freaked me out at eight years old. I mean, that opening bus scene alone. And, like, I was a kid who rode the bus to school, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I was was so freaked out by this movie. And Freddy looked terrifying because, you know, at that point, Kevin – I mean, I love his makeup in the first one. That's, like, my favorite. But I love part two's makeup as well. I mean, he was, like, you know, how Kevin Yeager, like, kind of defined him more. Like, they gave him cheekbones and – um, you know, change his eye color and you got to see him a little bit more than you did in part one because in part one he was more like, you know, kind of like in the shadows or, you know, he would just kind of pop up and you would just maybe like see part of his face, you know, gives you that eerie feeling. But this one, he was really out more and he was just terrifying in this film. And then that pool party massacre, that freaked me out too. I mean, there was just a lot of, you know, just haunting moments and, you know, nightmare too. I know it's not a lot of people's favorite, um, but even as a kid, I always liked it. And I think I've grown, you know, gotten even more appreciation for it as I've gotten older. Just because of the story of Nightmare 2 and, you know, how it came about and like, you know, like, you know, Mark Patton and, you know, his story and, you know, so I, but I've, I've always, I've always liked Nightmare 2. Like I said, Freddy is still very scary. In Nightmare Two, very dark, you know. I, I argue is scariest in Nightmare Two. Yeah, I, I really yeah. think so. I think this is the yeah. scariest Freddy gets after this, and we'll get into it. It takes a turn, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think this is scarier than the first one. So, as you know, as you mentioned, Wes Craven did not see a sequel. He didn't think it had the potential for a sequel. 
Right. So Jack Shoulder comes on to direct, who I think had done what, Alone in the Dark? Is that right? So, yeah. Alone, yeah, in, Alone the in the Dark. Dark. Yeah, for New Lines. He comes on. And the first thing they want to do is what? Get rid of Robert England. Oh, it's just a guy <laughs> in some makeup. Well, unfortunately, this isn't a guy in a mask like Michael or Jason. This is this is Robert brought something to that role. And I think I think the story is what they were filming for about two weeks and realized, yeah, this guy, he couldn't even he couldn't get the walk down. Right. You know, Robert's got that walk like that glove. He makes that glove look heavy. Mm-hmm. The way he just lets his arm dip to the side to make that glove yeah. show heaviness on it. And they gave Robert what he wanted because he knew he was the star coming out of a nightmare and he got more money to come back. Right. And they said they didn't even know he was. the. I think I think I heard in an interview that Jack Shoulder had initially wanted Robert, but it was the studio who. Were okay, like, that sounds right. It was New Line. Like, no, because I guess cause they said his his like agency was becoming wise, like, you know, because Freddie after the first one was like pretty big. And I think it was like, you know, asking for, you know, that more money. And but Jack was like, he, he even mentioned it in the, uh, you know, Never Sleep Again doc that they had no idea that Freddie was the franchise at that point, even though it was so early on. And, you know, it's, you know, a good thing they got wise to that because I couldn't imagine, you know, had they like turned him down and said, no, we're not doing this, and then just went with that guy or went with somebody else. I mean, that could have just, completely destroyed the franchise. Oh yeah, completely. I don't think we get any more after this one if they if right. they stick with that. This one bombs mm-hmm. and we don't get any future installments. I don't think it happens. <laughs> so, <Oof>. you know, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. But you're right. Pull scene. Probably one of the best overall scenes in the Nightmare franchise for me. I just love that pool massacre, and it gets there quick. Mm-hmm. That movie moves. I forgot how quick that movie moves. Yeah, it does. It moves. It moves real quick. I will say that to me is one of the. I just say a little. I don't want to say downfall, but just maybe, just one of the things that I'm just like ah, uh, you know, I wish they could have. You know, I felt like some of the the scenes were rushed a little bit in this one. Um, it's like I just remember that one scene where, you know. Jesse and Lisa arrive at the school and then they find out that, uh, you know, the coach has been, you know, murdered in the shower. And then, like, it literally just cuts to another night scene. And then, like, Jesse's just in bed, just hearing. I mean, it just, I guess, you know, in some in some instances, there wasn't, like, a prelude going into the next scene. It was just like, this is happening, but then, bam, this. And then, oh, bam, that. And, you know, so I do kind of wish it, it was a little bit more put together, I guess, is, is the way to say it. I mean, I mean, you know, regardless, it's, it's still a fun movie, and I still love it, you know, for what it is. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's – I see what you're saying, but the movies that come in, and all of these do, well, until we get later, but all of mm-hmm. these come in under that 90-minute sweet spot, and that was what the goal was back then. Nowadays, it'd be bloated in two hours and 15 minutes for no damn reason. But, mm-hmm. well, you know, Nightmare 2 is actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's the shortest nightmare. That, that's, think, pro- that's probably correct. Yeah, I think it's the shortest nightmare of all of them. And obviously, the longest one is New Nightmare. But 
I think, yeah. yeah. I think part two was the shortest one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that because I do think this was like, I mean, credits are probably starting at like 75, 77 minutes before Maybe. credits hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we get one of our all time favorite dance scenes in a horror movie out of this. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, everybody oh, knows Crispin man. Glover in Friday 4, but. Oh, man. Mark yeah. Patton delivers Mark a great Patton. one in this. Yeah, that and then you know doing it to that song like it's I mean like amazing, <laughs> and I know he like even talked about like how he hated like he didn't want to do it like he was just like so embarrassed to do it and he just said he just went for it said he just figured out something to do and just said roll the cameras and just started. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> if if you watched Scream Queen, Mark Patton had a very rough time on this whole set. I mean, yeah, and I'm sure you yeah. know the story. Oh, if yeah. you haven't, if you haven't seen Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, or I think is the full title, but mm-hmm. it's a documentary. It's on Shutter. It's out there. Go watch it. It's an incredible story. Yeah. Very good, very good story about uh, his life. About, about his life, he reconnects with the writer of the film because mm-hmm. for the longest time, you know, I always just heard about this one being the gayest Nightmare on Elm Street when that was the right. thing to say. Right. Most in- t- unintentionally gay horror film ever made, and all this. Mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't very unintentional. It was written that way. Jack Shoulder still defends his stance that he didn't see it and doesn't understand it. Right. I don't see there how you could not. Actors that said that they didn't even get it. Like I think Kim Myers says she didn't get it. But I think they've at least them they've come around on it, right? Hmm. Like in that documentary, Jack Shoulder never comes around on it, and I was like, "Dude, at this point, you, you, got, you can't, you can't right. be denying it at this point. <laughs> it's obvious. It's out there. The writer even came around, and him and Mark Patton actually have a meet up in the documentary, so it's worth watching just to see that happen. Right. See them recon. Have you seen it? Have you seen that doc? Oh yeah, I own the doc. Oh, you own it. Oh, my name's this- at the end of the doc as a contributor. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Lauren <laughs> is nightmare related. Got you. That is yeah, that sounds about right. I should have known. I have to watch again. Just watch for your name now. Now I know that. <laughs> well, if you're fancy like Anthony, you can own it and have your name on it. <laughs> if you're lowbrow like me, just watch an old shutter. <laughs> All right, we're back to the game. Let's play it. This movie. It was the first was a success, so this one gets a higher budget. Comes in at three mm-hmm. million. What do you think this one makes? Yeah. I know this one made more than the first one. It's just if I'm trying to think domestic and international wise, I want to say maybe maybe about somewhere between eighty and ninety mil. Everything about total gross. Ooh. You're going to be unpleasantly surprised that it did not make more than the first one. This one drops. Really? I thought it made more. No, it makes $30 million, so it's still 10 times its budget. So it's still a success for these low-budget mm-hmm. horror flicks. But it actually drops quite a bit from the first. Now, what I don't know is that number I found for the first, mm-hmm. you know, around Halloween and, never, and anniversaries and stuff, they'll re-release the original Nightmare on Elm Street in the theaters. Right. They don't really do that with the sequels, and it may include that money. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. That would okay. be my guess. 
See, that's why it threw me the first when you told me it was like 57. Because I always thought that first, the when it first was released in 84, when it had it had its initial run and then to the you know close that initial run, it was like 25 mil that it had made. And then, like I said, then I know they had re releases and you know all that over the years. So that I'm not sure. Yeah, so that I'm not sure of. Yeah, it, it could be that. And of course, hot on the success of part two, we're going to get another sequel. It takes a little over a year this time. So we go to February 27th, 1987, and we get a Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. One, two, three, coming for you. What? He's close. Oh. Yeah. Two. He's real, isn't he? Right, though. Ready or not, Freddy's back. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3. Dream Warriors, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. <laughs> One of the... Oh. One of the fan favorites, right? One of the fan yeah, yeah. favorites. Yeah, I really love this sequel. It's a really good sequel. All right, so... You always got the good stories, so let's hear... I'm, I'm going to be honest, I haven't even said it. Most of these... I didn't even see until I got that encyclopedia box set. What? <laughs> I had seen the original and I had seen bits and pieces of other ones, but I don't remember really watching most of these on VHS. I saw a bunch of them on like USA, whether it was up all night yeah. or whatever, or maybe sci-fi back then, who knows? On TV, I don't remember seeing any of them on VHS. And then that encyclopedia box set, I bought that. Right, right at summertime. I can't remember when it came out, but I bought it at summertime on DVD, and I went up for summer break, and I just sat and I watched them. I would watch like one or two each day when I was up there. That is wild. I would not have. <laughs> I would. I would not have like guessed that. I thought you would have seen them like around the time I was seeing them. I did not. I did not. I caught the end of. It was either part four or part five, because in my memory of seeing it, I remember Alice being there, Mm -hmm. but I can't remember the exact scene. So I know it was four or five just because it's Alice. Right. But I don't know. I don't remember what was happening well enough to say which one for sure it was. But let's hear from you because you got the best stories. When did you first see Dream Warriors? I first saw Dream Warriors. uh, I was about eight or nine. I was at my cousin's house again. He always had all the movies and he had it on VHS and obviously I had already seen, you know, part one and two. So I was, you know, really excited and like, I had no idea that Nancy was back in this sequel and that, you know, she was older, you know, she was like an adult now, you know, trying to help these kids and like that the minute, you know, she came on screen and, you know, finished Kristen's, you know, line where she just like never sleep again. I was like, just like, it feel like this charge go through. It's like, wow, like, oh my gosh, Nancy's back. And I mean, and then just all the subsequent scenes that happened. I mean, there was, you know, for the eighties, you know, this film always gets talked about a lot just because of the technical effects that they were doing that were really kind of, you know, unheard of at the time, you know, now it'd be like, you know, quick, fast and easy to do like some of the stuff that they were doing. But back then, I mean, you know, the Philip, the, the puppet marionette, you know, with the veins and 
you know, Freddie coming out of the TV for Jennifer, you know, just so, and the, you know, the Freddie snake, you know, attacking Kristen. I mean, just so many, you know, technical, you know, special effects that were just really good and like effective, you know, I, I was just really kind of captured by it. And, you know, I was, you know, I was just loving every minute of it and right up until the end because uh, <laughs> my favorite character of all time <laughs> bites the dust, which I was just like, did that really just happen? I'm just like, did he really just kill Nancy? And I remember being heartbroken. You know, this young kid, you know, watching this horror movie who loved the first one and loved Nancy and just thought she was just, you know, this, you know, this badass warrior, you know, who went after Freddie in the first one instead of him coming to her and said, set up these booby traps and now she's you know become victim and i was just like there's no way i remember actually rewinded it as a kid thinking that was going to change the ending <laughs> like wait what like no like you know <laughs> i mean you know how you know your kid mind yep. thinks and it's just like yeah. no that's that's what happened okay yeah yeah, that is that would be heartbreaking. And so obviously this one, Wes Wes comes back, what like producer? Does he write this one? Him and Bruce Wagner actually write the original screenplay for this, which I'm a fan of the original script. I that's don't know. Right. So that's it. the one. No, that's the one you talked about in the original nightmare episode that I have not mm-hmm. read. Mm-hmm. So yep. I'm going to have you do it again in case anyone didn't listen to that episode. It does listen to this. Go through their original screenplay on this thing. Wes and Bruce Wagner um, was his name. Um, a young, you know, 20-something-year-old writer who Wes found. And, you know, they wrote this screenplay together because they went back to Wes to ask him if he would, you know, write and direct. But he couldn't direct because he was getting ready to direct Deadly Friend. But he said he could write it. And this script, I mean, for those of you who haven't, it's a totally different movie. Obviously, what's the same is it, it is about the Dream Warriors. Nancy does return. Um, but there's so much that's so different. In, in their original script, Nancy is not a psychologist. She's basically on this mission trying to find her dad who's been missing for several years now, pretty much since the first one. And while she's kind of like driving everywhere, she happens to stumble upon Neil Gordon, the doctor, which in the original screenplay, his name is Neil Goldman. And he, but he really kind of takes a liking to Nancy like right away. And a lot of the stuff that happens to Kristen actually happens to Nancy. And so Nancy in the original script is almost eaten by the Freddy snake, not Kristen. Some of the characters are different. Like Will hit, his name is Laredo. He's the one who builds the nightmare house. Taryn is actually a black girl. Philip and Jennifer, they're actually like really young kids. They're like 13 and 14 years old in the original script. And I mean, Nancy, she's pretty much how she was at the end of the first one. And so Neil kind of brings her on as like a, an assistant because he realizes that Nancy's able to read these kids more than they than the doctors have been because obviously she's been through it and she knows what they're actually dealing with. So he kind of brings her on as this like assistant and they all just, you know, take a liking to Nancy. 
and she's the one who helps them exact their their powers you know kind of like how she you know told them in uh the theatrical version but i still remember that part in the script where they they're in the dream and then there's this portal and she's telling the kids she said once we go through this portal you know we're basically going to face him you know and you know are you guys ready and they're all just like you know yeah let, let's go let's get this over with let's do this because in this story you know they weren't all completely together because Kristen she actually leaves the hospital several days after she gets there so she's not in there the whole time like she is in the movie she leaves and goes back to school and her peers kind of mock her because they find out that you know she's been institutionalized so she's like kind of like this freak now and her power is really different in this like instead of well she can bring people in her dreams but she can use it anywhere so there's a, a, a time when she you know has them all gathered together and you know she uses her power and they land in the middle of her living room while her parents are having a dinner party and like her dad is actually in this script like they're very rich posh people who that all they care about is their tenants their friends and like their money so they're like even worse than like how elaine was to her and like in the theatrical version but but yeah her power they just literally just land anywhere like she just think of something and they'll just land right there like literally freddie's like on their heels and she's doing this like he massacres like some of the people at the party like kills her dad at the party and I'm, if i'm remembering right kills her mom at the party too I mean, it, it's it's so crazy. And, you know, one of the better parts is, I mean, Nancy does die in the original script, but she's not fooled by Freddie's glamour. She knows that it is Freddie. So, she, so she's kind of like, you know, you're not my father when he tries to say like, oh, you know, and they basically fight to the death, basically, and which I thought would have been more fitting if, if she was going to have to go. I thought it would have been better for her to go out that way, you know, because Wes knew that Nancy would know this already. But I felt like when they, Chuck and Frank got a hold of it, they wanted to kind of do it in a way to where, you know, it was more of a surprise, kind of like for, you know, just that fact, like, oh, like, you know, just to get that reaction out of people as opposed shock to- Shock value. Yeah, shock value, as opposed to really following who Nancy really was as a character. So, I like I said, I would have preferred it. Like I said, if she had to go, they would have followed that original- um, formula that Wes and Bruce kind of created but I would just tell all you guys out there read you can find it on the Nightmare Companion um, you can just go through all the films and they'll have the theatrical script but you will want that original 1986 first draft script and then that's how you'll be able to read it and it, it it's so good it's so good okay. and it's dark Freddy's I would say he's just as dark or even darker than he was in the first one and and I think if they had kind of kept that Freddy, there's no way they could have made the leap to part four where he became more MTV Freddy because there was no segue how there kind of was in part three that kind of led into that. He was just dark. Like, this how he was in part one and part two. That's how dark he was in the original draft of part three. Okay, yeah, because you're right. He starts to add a little bit of a comedic tone in this one. Mm-hmm. We're not MTV Freddy yet. We're getting there. But you right. mentioned a couple names. We have first-time director Chuck Russell coming mm-hmm. on to direct this one. Now, the following year, he does the Blob remake, and then mm-hmm. he tries to get professional and goes by Charles Russell and goes into the mask <laughs> with Jim Carrey, a racer with Arnold, 
Right. First, and Frank Darabont is who, when you mentioned Frank, that's Frank Darabont who would go on to direct Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, mm-hmm. create The Walking Dead, which you've talked, or not create The Walking Dead, but create it for right. TV. Right. TV, right. yeah. <laughs> One who gets that put on TV and become the phenomenon it's become. Right. Was it one of probably one of Frank's writing gigs, if not his first as well? I didn't look that far. Yeah, I think I think it was. I think it, like I said, if it wasn't his first, it it was the, the one of the earliest. Yeah, they've done. This definitely has, like you talked about, the effects. It has some creative kills, mm-hmm. and much like Jason Lives, probably would have been the year before this, right? Let me see, Jason. Li- yeah, yeah, because that came out in '86, and they were yeah. filming Part Three in '86. So, and the re- yeah. and the reason I make that connection because you have Alice Cooper doing the Man Behind the Mask, and now you have mm-hmm. Dawkins doing the right. Dream Warrior <laughs> song. You know, it was back right. when you you had to have that tie-in somewhere. That's why I was making mm-hmm. that connection, not out of nowhere. I promise. <laughs> no, that makes sense. No, it makes sense. No, that's that's true. All right, we're gonna go through the budget, and then we're gonna move on. So this budget is a little iffy. Somewhere between four point three and four point six million. So they definitely. I mean, you can and you can see it in the effects. You know, oh, you, yeah. can see, you can see it on the screen. Mm-hmm. I hate to see the budget go up and you not be able to see it, but you can see it. I remember the last one made thirty million. What's this one make? I know this one had made a lot because I remember they talked about it. How they couldn't believe how much it made, and I want to say it was maybe like. And I'm thinking, like I said, thinking theatrical wise person ends like i think i want to say like 45 or 50 million and that was like really big for a film like that at that time oh yeah especially in 87 and yeah you were you were right at it 44.8 million so right under 45 million so there you go now now you're getting one (laughs) (laughs) all right you know the deal that leads us to our next so a year and a half later, August 19th, 1988, we get A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Don't let them put you to sleep. Welcome to a brand new nightmare. Now, no one sleeps! Knew you'd be back. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. How sweet. Fresh me. Rated R. <laughs> Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. The Dream Master. So, I can't remember if it was this one or Part 5, but I know one of these next two, you had a very fun story of a first viewing. But we'll talk about this one first. When okay. did you first I- see this one? Okay, that fun view you're talking about, that's actually for part part five. So we'll get to that when we talk when we do part five. But part four, I actually saw my cousin's house again, but this was the other cousins where I saw part one for the first time. And we saw it and and I remember even at that age it had that bit of a different feel because you know Freddie was had be, become, you know, MTV Freddie at that point. Cause I believe this was the same year that Freddie's Nightmares came out too. So, you know, he was already becoming like this kind of like rock star, you know, idol, you know, where people were cheering for him more to kill people as opposed to like, you know, having like, you know, the characters survive. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't remember 
when Freddy's Nightmares came out, but I can tell everyone that that famous gif of Freddy putting on the sunglasses, it comes from this movie. This is full oh, yeah. MTV Freddy, yeah. <laughs> so. For sure. And this, like, they're really bringing Freddy out of the dark in this because, you know, he's on that beach scene with Kristen, like I said, with the glasses or at the school and, you know, there's sunshine. And because up until that point, Freddy's always in the dark, you know, in the night, you know, so they're really bringing him to the forefront in part four. And I think yeah, he, part he, four must, he must be dealing with people day. like me who sleep during the day. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's when I would see Freddy's during the day. <laughs> We are, yeah, we are like watching them at night just to make it more fun. But we will watch them during the day too, just randomly. But, oh, I just meant that's when I sleep is during the daytime. So if oh, I was doing now, oh, Freddy, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, back then, yeah, I definitely watch, you watch them at night. You watch these movies at night. <laughs> I just mean if I had to encounter Freddy in my actual life, it would be a daytime meeting because that's when I'm doing my sleeping. <laughs> uh, but I did. I did enjoy the Dream Master though. Like I said, it was it was fun, and because it you know came off of Part Three, it really kept that that creativity going. Um, and I think they even mentioned that because Part Three really brought you know that really imagin- imaginative aspect of the dreams, or like like I said, the the Freddy snake and the imaginative kills with you know the puppeteering death and you know the TV death, and so this one had I said this one had some very imaginative deaths i mean the the kiss of death that's one of my favorite like death scenes you know with sheila when you know freddie you know gives her that kiss and like basically sucks all the air you know out of her body oh that just gives me the crib because her body just dries out completely you know and just imagine like freddie's like kissing you and like this is like ugh, like you know so disgusting but i just remember this being what was it Debbie's death when she turns into the cockroach because she has the fear of the cockroaches that when she's in that roach motel and that scene where she you know her arms have fallen off and like they're like bug arms now she can't really keep her balance and she falls face forward and it's that that goopy sticky stuff that holds roaches and her face comes off for some reason to me you know as an eight-year-old that sticky stuff look like the cheese on the, the cafeteria cheese pizza so like after i saw that movie i could not eat that pizza for like weeks because that's all i thought about was that <laughs> it oh, looked like the, oh, it just, uh, just made me gag like, i would get people like you don't want your family like, no take it i was like no <laughs> i can't they were just looking at me like they didn't understand why i'm just like y'all didn't see what i saw <laughs> i can't eat this pizza <laughs> Every other kid's looking forward to pizza day, and you're like, no, right. no, no, like, that's the one day I don't want. No, like, no, 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 no. And just imagine biting. I was like, oh no, no, I can't. <laughs> like somebody get this away from me. <laughs> now, this this one does have the the weird dog pissing fire to bring Freddy back. That mm-hmm. weird scene. It's getting a little. Uh, you know what? Something I wanted to mention. Well, one part three, you mentioned it. That's the superhero. Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That, if I want to watch more superheroes, I'm not watching Marvel. I want to watch stuff like that, first off. I didn't mention mm-hmm. that during part three. But I want to ask how you felt getting to see a character like Kincaid come back in a horror movie. Because that didn't happen going back then. No, it didn't. It was, you know, like I said, I didn't, under, like I said, I didn't understand it too much as a kid, but, you know, getting older, then that's when I really realized, like, how important that was 
you know, to have this black character not only survive the first one or the third one and then come back for the fourth. It, you know, it was, you know, it was just very progressive and, you know, his character is very memorable. Like, you know, Ken did such a good job with, you know, that role of Kincaid. And um, I've had a lot of talks with Ken. Um, we're, we're actually a little close. He actually told me for part three who they had, who was like, I guess, in the second running, like, if you know, if he hadn't taken it or, you know, the role was Dwayne Davis was up for the role of Kincaid. And Dwayne Davis is actually in Nightmare 4. He's the one that delivers that line to Sheila and says, you know, hey, baby, you're sucking on the wrong nozzle. That guy. He's actually the, he was actually the second runner up to play Kincaid in Nightmare 3. And like when he said that, and I was like, I actually could kind of see that, you know, because they both, you know, and I've seen Dwayne Davis and other stuff. He kind of has that, you know, kind of like intimidating presence where he can like be really, kind of strong and strong toned and so I could really have seen that you know happening you know so I thought that was kind of cool um I, th- <laughs> I thought it was so crazy that that's one thing that always bothered me about part three not the fact I mean they you know he ends up being the first one killed off in part four but the fact that they killed the last of the dream warriors off so quick you know it's so fast and it's like you know they're supposed to be the dream warriors and it's like you it's almost like that doesn't even matter anymore. It's just like, oh, okay, well, you know, I, I felt like a better instance would have been like to have them at least survive halfway through the film and maybe, you know, somehow, you know, Freddie does something and he ends up offing them. And then, then, then that's when Alice kind of steps forward and, you know, realizes her place of the Dream Master. Because the way they did it, I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of like what happened to Rachel Carruthers and, you know, Halloween 5. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, what? Like, you know, coming off this last film, like, this is how this character ends. It's kind of like a slap in the face. Like, it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I understand with part four that they were, you know, kind of, they were dealing with the writer's strike, you know, yeah. and they weren't really kind of working with full scripts, but I felt like they could have done something to kind of give those characters more, you know, dignity. You know, like I said, Nancy dies at the end of part three, but, you know, she goes through the whole film and at least has that moment where she's fighting Freddie, even though she's hurt, you know, still trying to fight, you know, still trying to keep going. But with them, it was just like, bam, bam, bam. Like, you're going like, okay, moving on to the next. And, you know, I can't help but wonder if they were able to get like Patricia Arquette to come back. Would they have wanted to keep that character around? I always wonder that, too. And. You know, I know, I know there's so many stories about like why she didn't come back and, you know, and such. I know she, I know she had gotten pregnant early okay. and, you know, and like and that, and I think she was pregnant around that time, maybe a little bit like early pregnancy or and such. So I think her first son was born at the beginning of 89. So, you know, they would have been making, you know, so I don't know if some of that had a, had to do with it, but I know her agency wasn't very satisfied with the script either. And I think that's part of, partially why she didn't return. Cause I actually, a random story. Um, I met a guy who showed me his nightmare on Elm street three poster and he actually had Patricia's signature on it. I'm like, dude, like make sure you keep that in like a glass casing or something. I mean, cause she's like one person that everybody's missing, you know, from their nightmare three poster. 
And he told me the reason or how he was able to get it was he said he used to work um, behind the scenes for Jay Leno in New York City. Like, you know, I, I don't know, like one of the grips or, you know, however the TV shows work or something like that. And she was a guest star on there and he knew she was coming. So he brought his poster. And, you know, she signed it for him then. And then he said he had actually asked her, you know, why she didn't come back for part four. And I think the reason he gave was the fact that her agency wasn't really happy about the script. Like, they didn't really care for the script too much. And this kind of persuaded her away from it. Well, that's disappointing, but that is how this, that's how it goes out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this one, we bring on yet another different director, this time in Rennie Harlan, who had just come off directing Prison, which is another horror flick. I want to say that one might have been one of Vigo Mortensen's earliest roles, actually. Prison. Mm. Yeah, I'm almost positive. That's If it's not his first, it's early. Yeah. And then, of I course, after that, that one fully. I watched it once years ago. I don't remember much about it. And of course, after this, he turns into the action director with Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger and Deep Blue Sea. But once again, here we go. Let's see if this movie is a success or not. It comes in. They, well, I tell you what, after three, they, they felt very highly of this franchise because it comes in with a $13 million budget, the highest mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. What do you think this movie brings in? Now, I know this will make more than Nightmare 3. So I want to say this one was like maybe in the 55, 60 range. Nil. So you're not wrong. It does make more, but it's not that much more. It goes up to 49 million. So it almost oh, 40, hits 50 okay. million. Okay. So I know three and four were like the highest grossing of like pretty much the nightmares. Those were like the biggest ones. Well, that's good. Keep that in mind when we're doing the guessing on the next one when we get there. <laughs> But before then, we have to go. We're now jumping once again. And the next year, they're pumping out another one. So on August 11th, 1989, we get A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. When it comes to terror, Freddy knows best. (laughs) Now, Freddy delivers. It's a boy! I don't know how, but now he's back. His greatest masterpiece. Better not dream and drive. A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. The party just starts. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 11th at theaters everywhere. All right, here we go. I know you have the fun story for this one, so tell okay. everybody when you first saw this one. <laughs> I actually saw Nightmare on Elm Street 5. I believe I was six, and but I saw it in daycare. <laughs> I know a lot of y'all probably think like, what the f-? <laughs> But it's true. Somebody, I, I can't remember to this day who brought, somebody brought that VHS in and they actually showed it to us at the daycare center. And me already seeing like, you know, the first few, I'm just like, oh man, you guys are going to love this. You know, these movies are so great. You know, I was, I was hyped. You know, and then with it being on VHS, you know, I didn't realize till later that it was actually the unrated version that doesn't get shown often. And again, one of the ones that hasn't been transferred to disc, which it shows more of uh, Dan's death and more of Greta's death. Oh, and I would say Greta's death. I mean, it would probably make the average person sick of what actually happens. So, you know, 
I mean, we all know what happens. You know, he's, you know, stuffs her, you know, to death and then she chokes. But what all was cut, you know, Freddie delivers that Barbie doll on a platter with all the food around it. He slices the Barbie doll's stomach and it's bleeding. But that also makes that kind of, you know, causes Greta's stomach to slice open and bleed. So while Freddie's stuffing her mouthful of all this food and it's going down, you can see it all coming down into her stomach. And then he literally scoops it out of her stomach and then shoves it back into her mouth. So he's basically just shoving like her the digestive food she's already eaten back down into her throat. And like kind of like at the same time just stabbing her in the stomach and just like really just I mean it was I was like, oh my God. Like that. I mean, I can <laughs> I can understand why they cut that. I mean, for that, I mean, especially for you know, this would have been 89. You know, maybe today they probably would have showed it more, but I mean that was gruesome. Like it was one of the most gruesome deaths in night, I think. And you can kind of see it a little bit in the theatrical version if you watch it. The scene where you know, in that scene where right before Freddie kind of kind of cradles her and act like he's like concerned and whatnot, but really, you know, trying to get her to choke, you can see her kind of holding her stomach. And if you look closely, you can still see where this the opening is where he cut her open and you can kind of see it, but you know, you don't see it a whole, whole bunch, but if you, if you're looking for it, you'll see it. So if there's a little bit of the, you know, remnants left over from that, that, that dinner scene. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's interesting. Cause I definitely have not seen that. So that is, uh, yeah, that sounds gross. Yeah. That sounds gross. Well, yeah. I say, imagine seeing it at six. <laughs> yeah, really? That is, <laughs> I, no, I don't want to imagine it. I can't imagine it. I won't imagine it. <laughs> so what are your overall thoughts on the story of this one with the child and the, all that, everything that goes into it? I, I honestly like Nightmare 5. People always, you know, they they rank it as the lowest and say, like, oh, it was horrible. And But if you really break Nightmare 5 down, it actually tries to go back to the darker roots of Nightmare, I always felt. Because if you kind of take out the MTV Freddy of like, because again, you know, he was very MTV Freddy at that point. If you kind of take him out and just look at the story, it's a very dark story. I mean, I mean, first off, you have Alice and Dan and, you know, they're in love and, you know, Freddy manages to kill Dan this time and you know, she finds out she's pregnant. And then there's this idea of like, should she have this baby or shouldn't, or, you know, shouldn't she? Because Freddie's using the baby's dreams and, you know, talking about abortion at that time. I mean, I mean, you know, let alone, you know, in a movie, but a horror movie. And the idea of just, you know, his mother just, you know, committing suicide, who was a nun and she was raped by all these maniacs in this asylum for the criminally insane and you know you get to see that you know i mean you don't really you know see the what happened but you see like her being trapped and you know how freddie was conceived and it's just it's a very dark story to me and you know it's very you know that whole asylum and there's a bit of you know you know gothic remnants of it you know in that story just like you know with the architecture of like some of the buildings that are in there I've, I've always thought it was a really good story. You know, I don't I don't know why it gets, you know, hated on so much. I mean, people will rank that one over four a lot. And, and you know, I thought 
you know, part four had a little bit more of the comedic overtones than part five did when you're just comparing those two. And then, of course, Alice's, her transition from four to five, I mean, she's really strong in part five. You know, the fact that, you know, she has this choice to keep her baby or not, you know, she makes the choice to keep her baby and just kind of deal with what's going on, you know, because she wants to keep her baby, but knowing that Freddie's going to keep coming that way. And, but she just faces it. And, you know, she chooses to go into these dreams and like, you know, she's, you know, I love that she's basically just, you know, badgering like, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to let you do this to my son. And like, why don't you come for me? You know, I'm right here. Like, you know, she, you know, she's very strong in part five. So I really love her transition from four to five where she's, you know, kind of really starts off as meek and shy. And, you know, I mean, even at the end of part four, she, you know, she gets stronger. But, you know, in this one, you know, she's, you know, she's up there. Okay, so well, that has me very curious when we get to rankings to see where you put this thing. <laughs> but as usual, we once again have a new director in Stephen Hopkins. The only thing I could really find before this was something called Dangerous Game, which I'm not familiar with. And mm-hmm. he'll obviously go on to do Predator 2, among other stuff. So Rennie Harlan jumped to Die Hard 2. He jumps to Predator 2. They're both jumping to other <laughs> sequels after leaving their sequels. All right, so the budget drops back down on this one, only to $6 million. What do you think it makes? I want to say this one made maybe only about thirty million. Actually, drops even lower than that. It makes twenty two million. I actually was going to say maybe like closer. At first, I was going to say like twenty five, but I was trying to think like maybe it made a little bit more. But yeah, I remember that one did take a dive. No, I always thought that was so weird how each, you know, Freddie, Michael, and Jason, their part fives are, like, not the highest points. Like, a lot of fans don't like Halloween 5. A lot of fans don't like Friday 5. And, you know, a lot of fans don't like Nightmare 5. I said, but but their part fours did so well. Everybody loves, you know, the final chapter. Everybody loves uh, the Dream Master. You know, everybody loves the return of Michael Myers. I said, that is so weird how that happened with 4 and 5 with each of those franchises. You're right. I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. I can't yeah. argue any of those points because, yeah. Well, I won't give anything else away because we'll, we'll be ranking them soon. But yeah, I, I agree with you on all points there. Now, even though part five did drop, it was still a success and they made over, like, what, about three and a half times its budget. So that's still. Mm-hmm. But you can tell here they're starting to wane on whether or not they think it could go because at the time they think they're getting ready to make the last one. Right. And it takes a full two years because it's not until September 13th, 1991, that we get Freddy's Dead, Final Nightmare. Welcome to a brand new nightmare. Great to be back in business. The Final Nightmare. Did you mind or go for it? I won't tell. This is my favorite. It's got to be me and him. We're going to have to hit him with everything I've got. Cool. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. They saved the best for last. Rated R. Starts Friday, September 13th at a theater near you. All right, you know the drill. When did you first see this one? <laughs> Here we go. This one, I'm sure I pretty saw early on. Actually, I think I saw part six after I saw part one. I was still pretty young when I saw part six. And... You know, even as, as a kid, you know, it freaked me out just because it was Freddy. But as I got older, I realized 
it didn't freak me out as much because at this point, Freddie had basically become a parody of himself. If you look at part, if somebody actually took part one, watched it, and then watched part six, they would think they're probably watching two different movies. I agree with that. You know, Freddie was, he was way too comical in this one. I think that, I think this one, he, I mean, he hit the apex of his, you know, comedy, you know, at this point. And, you know, a lot of times the story can redeem it. So, like I said, with part five, you know, they had MTV Freddie. The story itself was dark. And, you know, they had such dark imagery. But part six, it almost felt like a, like a, a cartoon almost. I mean, you know, you got him playing, you know, Nintendo, you know, using the power glove and, you know, I mean, it, I mean, it had some cool, like, like Carlos's, you know, the whole, how he was taunting him. I thought that was like a really, you know, kind of dark. I mean, some of the things that were in there a little bit were kind of dark because the, the kids had their own stories, like, you know, tracing her father, how he was like, you know, molesting her and abusing her. And like, you know, Carlos being abused by his mother and she, you know, used to beat him so much that, you know, he was deaf in one ear. And then Freddie used that, and, you know, turned that against him and made him basically gave him like super hearing to the fact that, you know, that's what ultimately ended him. You know, so some there were some random, random dark moments that, you know, I thought were really interesting for this film and, and some heavy moments. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, with Tracy. And then, of course, this is the one we find out where Freddie wasn't just after the last of the Elm Street children just for the sake of being after him, but because his daughter was taken away from him once he was found out as the Springwood slasher. So he took all their children away from them because his daughter was taken away, which I thought was a really cool. That's kind of like that Empire Strikes Back moment, you know, the Luke, I am your father moment. We think it's, you know, it's one thing, but then it turns out like, wow, no, it's really because of this, you know, that, you know, that started this whole thing. And, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting that they had done that, you know, that he had this long lost daughter. And I thought Lisa Zane was perfect as, you know, Maggie Burrow. She kind of had, you know, those wide eyes and, she, you know, she had really great expressions, you know. I thought, like, I thought any if at that time, I said if anybody could play Freddie's daughter, I thought like she was like perfect, you know, for that role. So there are like a lot of things that I love, and you know, there's a lot of things I wish out, you know, obviously for it to be the last, I wish they had made it darker. I wish they had gone more into the history of Springwood and maybe brought like back some of the past old characters, you know, maybe bringing Nancy into like you know, Maggie's dreams, trying to help her. You know, or just something, you know, something kind of interesting like that. And then, of course, the 3D aspect, which I never got to see, you know, the film in theater. So I never saw, like, the 3D aspect in that way. And then the Nightmare Encyclopedia set, it had the glasses, but I felt like when I watched the 3D on that, it, was, it wasn't really that great, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've, I've probably only watched it in 3D maybe, like, twice just from that set, and you know, I just pretty much really just watch it regularly in 2D. But I do have a pair of original Freddy's Dead glasses from years ago. I mean, it even has the old trying to sell like root beer on the side thing from it. Um, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, those are like really rare. A friend of mine gave me those a long time ago because she had like a couple pairs. She was like, Here, do you want this? I was like, Yeah, like 
you know, and just where it is in my collection, I'm looking at it right now. It's like right there. <laughs> so that's where I keep the glasses. Okay. I think, I think one of the coolest <clears throat> things about this is because New Line at the time really did expect this to be the, to be the last. Mm-hmm. So they, they bring on Rachel Talloway, who, who'd right. been with the franchise since the beginning, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. she goes back to the first one. Yeah. You're like, okay, this is going to be the last. And they give her a chance to direct. So I think that's just a really cool in-house studio thing to do to give her this chance. Right. I, I remember as a kid, or not as a kid, but probably as a teenager when I first saw this. Oh, this one pissed me off. <laughs> like, you get Freddy as... Doing the Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you said, Freddy's at his apex with mm-hmm. the comedic shit, and it, it irritated me as a kid. Now, I don't mind as much because I'm like, they're just going for it. They're like, yeah, let's go bonkers. Yeah. Let's just do it. Video game Freddy, Power Glove. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've come to appreciate a lot more over the years, so I'll give it credit for that. So they, 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 we're going to try to speed through these last few. <laughs> well, this, well, real quick side note: this okay. is, this is the one that Peter Jackson had wrote an original script for. You know, of course, who we all know later on went to do you know Lord of the Rings. So he had wrote originally. This one was originally titled "The Dream Lover," and it was going to have what was it? Freddie had become like a joke, basically, in like Springwood and like pe- teenagers would literally fall asleep on purpose to go into the dreams just to mock him because he was so weathered down and beaten up that he couldn't even muster anything to like do anything to anybody. So it's like a joke. But at one point he does manage to act like, I think by chance kill one of the teenagers and then his strength starts to come back because then they're like, Oh, he, he killed somebody. So then like that fear comes and you know, fear is what gives Freddie his power. And then it was supposed to go on from there, which I've always been curious to see how that particular script would have went. Yeah, no kidding. That is, I don't, if I've learned about that, I do not remember it. So that is mm-hmm. very interesting. Okay. I tell you, learn something new every day. That's why I love it. <laughs> That's why I got you on here. <laughs> so for this last one, New Line was going to go all out and they upped the budget. They gave him an extra five million. They went up to 11 million. What do you think this one makes? I want to say it made around the same as Nightmare 5 or maybe a little bit more. Maybe that one hit the 25, maybe 26 mark. Yeah, it does a little better than you thought. 34.8, so almost 35 million. So it does pretty good. And then three years later, you know, <laughs> Wes Craven comes back to the franchise. Yes. And for the first time, we get one of these released in October. On October 14th, 1994, Wes Craven's new nightmare. After 10 years, Wes Craven, the man who brought you your most frightening nightmare, returns at last with a terrifying new twist on horror. The critics are calling it the best nightmare ever. Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yes. If I remember correctly, this is the first one you saw in theaters? No, I actually didn't get to see any of them. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay. Until later. 
So this, yeah. So I've always been sad about that because this could have been one that I could have seen, but you know, we didn't have the internet like we do now to say, oh, this is being real. I mean, you know, so you just kind of had to watch TV and whatnot to figure out like stuff. But you know, as a kid, you're not really looking at all that stuff too much. But come on, you didn't get the Friday newspaper and turn to those big page full of movie ads. No, I was like nine when this movie was. No, I was like eight when it was being made, and then like nine when it. I was like nine when it came out. So I was like, no, wait, no, I was eight when it. Yeah, I was eight when it came out, and then I I saw it when I was nine the next year in ninety five because my cousins again had rented it, and that's how I saw it. <laughs> so, I mean, once I went over there and like my well my cousin. He had seen it with a friend, and then when I got there and he was telling me about it, he said, man, you won't believe it. He's like, it's so different. Like, they're playing themselves, and, and Freddie's supposed to be, like, real. And, I mean, it was really confusing. I was like, what? Like, you know, so, you know, we turned it on, and then, of course, I'm seeing Nancy, but, you know, they're calling her Heather. Like, her real name? Like, what? you know, what's going on? You know, as a, like I said, again, as a kid, you just don't fully understand, like, that particular you know, type of writing. You know, Wes always said Wes was very creative, very smart. I mean, that's very smart writing. I mean, for a horror film. I mean, I fell in love with this film at first watch, just like I did with Nightmare One. I mean, right. I thought Heather did an amazing job. Like it was like some of her best acting like I'd ever seen. And then you got John Saxon back and Miko Hughes playing her son. He was amazing in that part. I mean, and for him to only be like eight years old to do that. I mean, it was so good. Well, ha- have you heard the story of how they got Miko Hughes to cry on set? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like his dad, his dad tells Wes, I-, "I have a way I can do it if you really need him to." Right. And, and, he, and he goes, "Was it?" He tells him that his mom died. Right. His like that's what died. he tells him. <laughs> like that's insane to tell a little boy his mom died just because you want him to cry. I mean. That's wild. I mean, Hollywood is a it's a strange place. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's, man. it's a hell of a machine, isn't it? There was I mean, there was so many great aspects of this film. I mean, the, the freeway scene alone. How many film horror films, I mean, have shut down the 405 a mile of the 405 to film like this action scene where she's just running across the highway? I mean, that's I mean that's like crazy action in this horror film. I mean, it's like I mean that's something something I feel like you would have seen like an Arnold like an, in an Arnold movie in like the nineties or something. And you know they did it in this film, and then you know the whole scene of Heather having to accept to play Nancy one last time, and that's one of my favorite scenes when she you know Donald pulls off, and then she she turns she's like. She's facing backwards against her her house, you know, Heather Langenkamp's house in Hollywood. And then she's realizing, you know, something. You see her head moving back and forth. And then Charles Bernstein's original music cuts in. And then she turns around really slow. And then she realizes she's back on Elm Street. And that house is there. I mean, that's, it gives me chills. I mean, it, you just see that pan. Because you just see, all you're seeing is her reaction first. You have no idea what she's looking at. And then the camera slowly pans. And then you're you know you're back on elm street it's just like ah like you know i mean it's uh i love that i love that movie from beginning to end that movie was so like west this could be like the only person 
to come back for like the seventh or the sixth sequel and still make something creative and original. Yeah, I mean all the sequels. Right. And this is this is Wes setting up, getting ready for screen with the meta. This is this is his prelude to that. Right. So everybody thinks of Scream as meta as the first meta, but it, it's this. Mm-hmm. This is where he cut his teeth on it, if you will. Oh yeah, like I said, that to me, New Nightmare that was a really early example of like what we see now, like Hereditary, Midsommar, um, Get Out, and Us. I mean, elevated horror. Like West Craven's New Nightmare is definitely elevated horror. Like I don't see New Nightmare as a slasher film at all. Oh I mean, no, I agree with that. There's so much story and it's so interesting, like very creatively interesting that this entity that's been around since like the beginning of time has come around in different shapes and different forms and storytellers have been the only thing that can capture it. And then in our time, it was captured by Wes Craven. And now that these films have ended, the only form that it knows is Nightmare or it only knows Freddy. And so when he sees Heather Lane Camp, the actress, he doesn't see her as the actress. He sees her as Nancy Thompson. And, you know, that it's it's just it's just so cool. And you see her slowly. To me, literally, I feel like we don't actually know who Heather Lane Camp is because literally the movie just starts on this workbench. And if you go back and if you jump to the end of the film when Dylan asks her to read him read him some of the story she literally says we open on an old wooden bench so basically that's how the, the film opens basically that's yep. saying so basically we're in west craven's nightmare because he's right. writing these down because this, these are his nightmares we're literally in his nightmare yep. and, and heather is in there too so i feel like at that point as soon as that movie starts even though it's heather lane Kent, the actress i feel like she's already dissolving into nancy thompson and to me and I think I'm pretty sure he had said this in the interview. That was his way of bringing Nancy Thompson back because Heather accepted to play her in the real world, which means it brought her back in the fictional world. And I'm like, that was like a really genius way to bring her back. Like that's how I always look at it. That's when people say Nancy's that's like she was, but she was resurrected in New Nightmare. And if you really watch it, that's exactly what happened. Now let me ask you this: What do you think of the look of Freddie in this one? It's a lot I'll different do, than the rest. Yeah, and I, I really like it because because of the fact that it's in a sense it's not supposed to be the Freddy that we know. This is supposed to be how the entity has brought himself out as Freddy because it like instead of it being burn marks on him, they look more like open like wounds almost. I mean, you could tell a little bit obviously in the face it, there is a burn this, but like the head part, it's more like like open open sores you know because towards the end of the uh, franchise like especially with five and six they really didn't define freddie's makeup like they did in like one i'd say the first three this one it was just a mask that they actually just put on you could really tell in part five it's just a mask as opposed to like them really like doing like you know robert's face up and like or you know how kevin yeager did you know with freddie in part two which was very defined makeup you know, for Robert. So I really like this look and then he has the long trench coat and it makes sense. Like I said, cause it's, cause we do see the Freddie that we know at the beginning when Heather's doing the talk show, 
you know, Robert comes out as, you know, the Freddy that, you know, we last saw him in part six that, you know, he's like, love you, babe, we'll do lunch. And, you know, really hamming up the crowd and, you know, in this, you know, classic green sweater and this glove and, you know, or, green, or red and green sweater. I mean, it's the Freddy we know, but then this is now the Freddy that we don't know that we're getting introduced to. So right. I thought it was really important that he looked a little bit different. So I thought that was really smart. Yeah, I will say I'm glad you brought up the talk show because that's the one part that I'm like, I realize crowds can get excited for these characters, but would he really have that whole crowd chanting Freddy on a talk show like like a daytime talk show like that? I don't know. I don't know. It's a little hard to believe, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> that could have been all Freddy fans. That would have been the one that the, all the Freddy fans came to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, if you give me like Arsenio hosting that talk show, I'd be I'd, I'd be able to handle it better. I mean, he, he had Jason on. I mean, come on, he can do oh, it. Oh yeah, when he, I remember that interview, he had Jason on. That one was good. <laughs> That's probably what Wes was probably trying to think, like, you know, doing this whole Freddy thing. Because, I mean, because Robert was really popular. I mean, he, I mean, that was like no joke. When you saw those kids, like, you know, Heather always says that's the story of her life where they kind of race past her or, you know, where she's just kind of waiting on Robert, like, uh, like, while he's doing all these autographs. They said, I mean, Robert was really, you know, popular. I mean, like with Freddy. I mean, was, I mean, you know, obviously still today. I mean, that just shows yeah. I mean, just going to the convention. His lines are like people have been waiting in line like eight hours just to get to him. I mean, that's literally a full day at the con. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, he's really created this character. And I mean, I really feel like that could have been how that talk show could have been. Okay. You know? I think with the right talk show, maybe that particular one didn't look like <laughs> the one that would attract the Freddy crowd. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about it. This one gets a budget of eight million. Mm-hmm. How much does it make? Well, because Pulp Fiction came out the same time, this one kind of fell at the wayside a bit, which was a shame. And I think this one only came in at about eighteen million, if I'm not mistaken. Very close, nineteen point seven. So yeah, you're right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, it takes nine years. And we finally get the dream matchup that had been promised a year before New Nightmare, actually, in Jason mm-hmm. Goes to Hell. Yep. But it doesn't come until the form of August 15th, 2003, Freddy versus mm-hmm. Jason. For generations, they have been the two biggest names in terror. He may get the blood, but I'll get the glory. Freddy's coming back. This summer, for the first time ever. She's mine! Two legends will come together. It's time to put this bad dog to sleep. Of course! Freddy versus Jason. Winner kills all. Rated R. And this is technically the first Freddy and Jason film that I saw in theaters. Okay, so this was the first (laughs) Freddy I saw in theaters. I did see Jason X in theaters. I did Oh, you did? You missed that one in theaters? Yeah, I missed it. Yeah. I knew it was okay. coming out. I just, I don't know what I was doing around that. I just, I didn't see it in theaters. Nope. I dragged my dad to make me go see Jason X because I wasn't old enough yet. I was, and they were being strict about who they let in. Pissed yeah, me they, off, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have been old enough to technically see it by myself either at that time. I think, what, 2001 that came out? Yeah, something like that. So I dragged my dad, and then I remember at a convention that summer, I bought a bootleg of it. 
before the actual DVD <laughs> came out. And then I bought the DVD when it came out. Of so I was all I was all about some Jason X. But yeah, Freddy vs. Jason. I was there the Friday night it opened. I went back the next night and I went back one more time the following weekend. So Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, that was that was a big, big moment in my theatrical experience. Yeah, I think I know you love I know you love that one. Yeah, and we talked about it and in fact I'm gonna breeze through this one a little bit because we did talk about it. If you want to hear more about it, we talk about it on when we ranked the Friday the 13th films, mm-hmm. which was just a straight ranking. I decided to go with a new format for this one. So hopefully it's working out. I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I like it just talking about each film and then we'll just go through a quick ranking. I, th- I think I like that better anyway. But yeah, they bring on Ronnie Yu, who is mainly an action director, but he had done yeah. Bride of Chucky. Mm-hmm. So he had that, but he had he had no interest in really any of these franchises. It's not like he had right. any history with them, which is, mm-hmm. it's a weird decision to make. It's part of the reason why we don't get Kane Hodder back as Jason after doing it four times in a row. Cause he didn't care. He didn't have an attachment to Kane. Like, like the fans did. So yeah. I remember being angry about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I was angry about that. <laughs> I had heard it was actually the student. Cause he said he didn't know anything about, he said from what an interview I saw, he said he didn't care who would, was but he said it was the studio mostly but because they said I they agree. wanted a, a towering Jason, which isn't how that shows off when Kid and Kurzing are in the role anyway. I mean, but you're right, that's what I've heard too. But Ronnie, you because he's not a fan, wasn't going to fight for it either. Yeah, he did. That, yeah. I said, yeah, you know, he's not going to put up a fight because he just doesn't yeah. care. He basically just says if that's what they wanted, then that's what they wanted. Yeah, so. he just went with it and. As we mentioned on the Friday the 13th episode, this is more like a nightmare film because I think that I'd say this is probably yeah. 70% nightmare and then you get 30% Jason and going to Crystal Lake at the end. I mean, you don't get to Crystal yeah. Lake to the end of the movie. Yeah. So I'll have this much differently in my rankings than I did on that one because I consider this a nightmare <laughs> film. All right. So one thing we didn't do, we didn't talk about money though. Now this one, Big, it's two big franchises Ooh. coming together. Thirty million dollar budget. Yeah, I want to say I, this one made a lot. I remember. I think this one made like like eighty two, eighty four million dollars. Oh, you can keep um, going. One sixteen. One sixteen. Ooh. See, I feel like some of that is adding in like the international stuff. In Probably the, is in adding in international. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all. Yeah, I think the ones I mentioned are just mostly like the domestic. Totals. Okay, you might be right. On I didn't look up just domestic. I just looked up the gross, which is probably gross, total yeah. worldwide. Yeah, so I think I think domestic wise it made eighty two here and then, but obviously a combination of everything, like you said, one sixteen. So, I mean, I knew it. I mean, I mean, these are like two big, you know, monsters in horror, and you know, they were the ones that. Know, really stuck out but because if you really think about it michael myers wasn't really dominant in the 80s like freddie and michael were or freddie and jason were uh because you know you had part one 78 part two 81 and then you don't really get michael back until 88 right so by that point you'd already gone through you know four nightmares or close to five and then you know jason was already up to like seven by that point so you know they were the ones really dominating the 80s but and, I will I will say after this comes out and becomes a success, they almost make a Michael versus Pinhead movie because the 
to mention on both of those franchises. I'm reading the Taken right. Shape book about all the lost sequels mm-hmm. that did almost happen. Yeah, right. I, yeah, and they almost made that movie. Okay, here we go. You know what's coming. Mm. We lose Robert England as Freddy. Mm. This is the Michael Bay era, era, era of remaking these horror flicks. We get I'm Samuel shuddering. Bayer, music video director, to come on to direct. And on April 30th, 2010, starring Jackie Earl Haley, <laughs> we get the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I'm having these dreams. And there's this man. Who are you? You don't remember? <laughs> On Elm Street starts April 30th. So, when did you see this one? Did you watch it in theaters? Did you just wait for it? I did see this one in theaters. I was very curious about it just because, um, and and it was easy for me to see because at this time I actually was working in a movie theater when it happened. So I was able to see it for free and you know, a bunch of people from the movies like, oh, this is coming out. Like, you know, like, let's all just go see it. So it's like, okay. So I was like, you know, maybe they may do some different stuff, creative stuff. You know, we'll see, you know. So because I, I actually, I like the Friday remake because it really felt like a Friday the 13th film set in the modern day, which I, I was like, I actually like Friday the 13th. Halloween, I thought it was really cool. That first one, you know, kind of taking that backstory and you know, really seeing Michael as a kid and then watching him slowly transform and, you know, taking it from that angle. I thought that was really interesting because we had never seen that with Michael. So I thought, okay, so maybe they'll have something like that with Nightmare and it, you know, we, we'll see something a little bit different. And needless to say, I was <laughs> very disappointed. I felt like this film... They just basically made it a, a, a carbon copy of Nightmare. I mean, they really didn't add anything new. I mean, the only thing that was new were, were the micro naps, which I, I thought that was a little cool touch, like, you know, because micro naps are very real, like, you know, with people and like those very minuscule seconds of sleep that, you know, happen that feel like, you know, minutes to people, but, you know, they don't last that long. I thought that was an interesting take, but. As far as the story goes, it was very lackluster. They literally killed off three characters, I'd say, within the first 20 minutes of the film. And you don't see any more deaths until the mom at the very end. And I thought that was very bizarre. Like, how do you, you know, in the first one, they were spread out, you know, and there was this journey that went along with it. And you watch... You know, Nancy getting stronger. And then uh, that's what make, you know, Nightmare so great was, you know, the journey that Nancy had to take. And she was alone. You know, she was the one that became very resourceful. That You know, this 15-year-old girl had to sort this out on her own, figure it all out, and become an adult, basically. But Nancy Holbrook, they kept her very meek. And she I felt like she was always calling out for Quentin. Like, Quentin, I need Quentin. Where is it? I, I mean, I was like, that's not Nancy. Nancy didn't need that. Nancy Thompson didn't need that. You know, she relied on herself. And, you know, just watching her set up those booby traps. And this one just felt 
really cheap, it, especially for the budget that they had that they could have done it. And then the fact that they said that, oh, well, now we have CGI to make it all better. The scene where Freddy's coming through the wall and the remake, it looks CGI. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's just, it looks fake. And then 84, it looked more real when they just used spandex and lighting. It looked like Freddy was really coming out of the wall and then he comes back and it's like the wall heals itself. I mean, that looked real. I'm like, CGI did nothing for this movie but make it look even worse. I mean, even part of Freddy's face was CGI. And I'm just like, really? You know, and then they try to make it seem like, oh, he wasn't, you know, oh, it was, they killed him by, you know, thinking that he did this when he really, like, they made a mistake in killing him. And now that was the thing. It's like, I didn't like that, you know, that Ooh. thing of like, well, now we have to feel sorry for the bad guy. And like, no, Freddy's has always been like this, you know, sadistic, even when he was alive, this sadistic monster, you know, you didn't feel sorry for him. You know, he was just, how we knew him, the Springwood Slasher, who turned into something worse after he died. You know, this film, yeah, the remake just, it does not hit any markers from, I mean, I thought the cast was good. I mean, I mean, except for Rooney, which, which I learned a little bit early on why that is, is because she felt like she didn't feel it. She didn't feel the character of Nancy Holbrook. She actually said in an interview that she went back and watched the original and said she actually liked Nancy Thompson more than she liked Nancy Holbrook because she felt Nancy Thompson was way stronger than Nancy Holbrook. And like, so when she played it, she didn't really feel that compunction. It's like, she said, I don't feel the way this is written. I don't feel this. Like, you know, so, and it, and it kind of comes off like that. Like, you know, like she doesn't want to do this role, you know? Right. And I agree. And, you know, she was written very poorly. And the fact that you have a music director doing something like this, I mean, I felt like you would really need somebody more seasoned in film, you know, preferably somebody in the genre, you know, that can appreciate this, you know, that, you know, knows the original films, know what Wes was trying to do originally. And the fact that they didn't even ask Wes to, like, consult or anything on it was... I felt a slap in the face to him. Yep. Like, you know, this was his idea, his creation, that, and you didn't even have the decency to go to him, you know, as a consultant. I mean, they did that on Last House on the Left remake. They went to Wes. And I felt like that's why I actually liked the Last House on the Left remake. I thought it was a really good remake. Yeah, it's definitely one of the more successful remakes. I agree with that. Right. And, and I just think that was just, just one of many things of why this film just I just did not connect with this remake at all. I didn't either. It's like it's like they wanted to have good ideas because they tried to make Freddy scary again. I don't right. think it works. Right. You know, like I like you said, the CGI, I mean it takes you out of it because it's so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean if if you're good at it, it's one thing because sometimes you can be good at it, but this one's not mm -hmm. good at it. And that's a problem. Yeah. They do make him officially the pedophile, which he wasn't in the original. It was always like you always kind of heard that. Like I always thought of Freddie as he was molesting children and then killing him. Yeah, when you go back he, and watch it, that really that's not the story. Yeah. From what I understand, he, that was the original story that they had to take out to get past the censors, though. 
So, yeah, because it was some story that broke in 84, which I actually found out what story that is. It came on like Discovery Channel, like on the true crime stuff. This stuff in the school about teachers or something or have been molesting children. And it was a huge story like in around 84 when, you know, the first nightmare came out. So it became more subtext, you know, right. than actually saying like, cause, I mean, because you think a grown man, like a child killer, I mean, that usually is attached, you know. Exactly. I mean, right. I mean, I know it's a hard subject to say. I mean, but typically, it's just not killing children. But you have that other component to it usually. And there's actually a part in part five where all the there's actually papers. Remember, like where Yvonne smacks all the papers out of right. Mark's hand and they're picking them up. If you look at some of those papers, it actually says on one of those said child molester freed on technicality or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So they kind of threw that randomly threw that in there. So, but it's never actually spoken. But there's a section where it's like the the bold caption that said "child molester free" or you know something like that. And and, that was like, but that was like way later on, though. Right. Yeah. And, and you brought up the fact that they they challenged that whether or not Freddie's really guilty or not. I think if mm -hmm. you're gonna go that route, go all the way and make right. them have made the mistake that he actually didn't do the stuff. Right. Don't then just back up and say, yeah, he really did do it. We just wanted to put doubt in your mind for no reason. Right. Follow, follow that story through. Make yeah. it that they did it for the wrong reasons and they're in the wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're going to tease it, go for it. But they right. don't. They just mm -hmm. go back to the, yeah, he really did do all this stuff. And like at that point, then this story didn't matter. It didn't need it. Right. There's no conclusion with it. You're just telling me something I already know. So, yeah, yeah. I know this if, is like, if you're gonna do it, make that change. Have the balls to make that change. Be different. That would have been different. Yeah, that's what I said. The other two remakes, I felt, I, like I said, I felt the other two remakes did a, a really good job at bringing something different. Even the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, remake. I, I thought that one was good. And you know, I just thought Nightmare. They just felt to me just short. They felt way short. And they really, they really could have used this story and like done something really good with it. But it, like I said, they didn't ask Wes to come back, and I really felt like he could have given them some, some really good key points. You know, maybe could have like given them ideas he maybe wanted to use for the original that he didn't because of the time period it was in. Like you know, I couldn't have done this back then, but now because we're in you know two thousand nine, two thousand ten, maybe we can touch on this or do this or you know, something, but they didn't, like I said, they didn't even give him the opportunity, which, you know, like I said, that's a slap in the face to me. And I'm just like, and at that time, you know, Robert Shade was going from New Line, which, you know, makes sense because I felt like if Robert Shade was there, then Wes definitely would have been like a consultant on that film. But I felt like the new, whoever the new person is up there, just, you know, they don't really, you know, they don't really look at it like how us and like Robert Shade looks at, right. you know, the house that Freddie built, you know. Right. To them, that's just okay. That's a franchise that y'all did. It's back, back when. So, well, one thing this movie definitely had, and that was they gave it money. So, this movie got thirty-five million dollar budget. How much does it make? I think this one made like over a hundred mil. I'm pretty sure this one made like a lot because I think they said it actually surpassed like the Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween sequels or the uh, remakes, if I'm not mistaken. It it makes just under what Freddy versus Jason makes. It makes one fifteen point seven. Right. So it makes a lot of money, and I am surprised we ended up not getting a sequel to this, just because it was a success. 
Yeah, there was it was supposed to be. I know they said they contracted Jackie Earl to do three movies and Rooney Mara to do two movies. So she was supposed to come back at least for one. So, and I think I think it may have been the fact because it would it might have been a commercial success, but I think you know critically and you know even like you know if you think about fans, why it was just it was it was a bomb. You know, that's true. Normally, that doesn't matter, though. You know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Normally, if they make money, it it still get done, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're at least thankful for that, right? Yeah, I'm actually. Yeah, I'm actually. (laughs) I'm. I'm kind of glad they did because I was just. I was so disappointed. I I don't even know if I would even (laughs) like watched it (laughs) if they made another one. Uh, yeah, I didn't even say my first time was this. This came out five months, four months after my first son was born. So I wasn't even, I didn't even have time to go to the theater at that point. So <laughs> <laughs> I think this was like a red box rental or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, let me just go run, run the red box, grab something and I can bring it back to the, and me and wife watched it. So this was definitely not a going out <laughs> to the theater experience. So, right. but at least in your case, it was free. So you have that yeah, to be thankful that, for. You didn't pay yeah. money for it. Right. <laughs> That was the I said that's probably the main reason I did just because everybody from there's like oh because we always got to see the movies you know a few days beforehand you know early so it was just kind of the thing like oh let's go to this one because this one's coming out and it's like okay and like like I said and I, and I was I was curious I was curious to see what they were going to do with the story and like I said I was just very disappointed. All right, so we have officially made it through all of the films. So now what we're going to do is we're going to rank them starting with. Nine down to one. We'll go back and forth round robin style. I think we're going to agree on the bottom one. I hope we're going to agree on the bottom one. I'll let you kick it off. Go ahead. What is your last ranked one? Well, of course, the last one is the remake. <laughs> uh, for all the reasons, you know, that we were talking about, it just, just does not hit for me at all. For all the reasons we discussed, yes, we agree. The remake is at the bottom. It it does nothing. We talked about all of them. We're going to speed through this. I thought we were going to agree on the bottom two. But after listening to you talk, we're not going to agree on the bottom two. So <laughs> go with your next one. So so next one would be Freddy versus Jason. And not that I think that is a bad movie. It's just because it just it came out later for me. And, you know, it's not. Like I said, when it comes to Freddy versus Jason, you know, I feel like it's its own entity. You know, it's, you know, I mean, like you said, it is more of a Freddy story, but it's so far removed from the ones that we saw in the 80s and, you know, even the early 90s that, it, you know, it just doesn't have that that feel. So so that's why it's always, you know, a little bit farther back for me. Like I said, I mean, but I love the movie itself. Like, you know, having those two characters just duke it out and, I mean, because that's basically what the movie is. That's basically what it's setting up to do is have them battle, you know. So, and I appreciate Freddy vs. Jason for what it is and that it connects these two franchises, which, you know, I love both the franchises, so. Okay, you're breaking my heart here. You're breaking my heart. (laughs) But I give it love, but yeah, I give it love, though. I give it all love, though. Well, my number eight, and you talked about it, you don't understand why it gets the hate, but I'm one of those people that do. And that's Dream Child. And look, mm. I think you're able to, as a writer, look at all the good stuff. 
Because mm-hmm. when you talk about it, it sounds like a really good story. But when you watch it, I don't think they perform it that well. It's a it's one of those scripts that's really good on paper, and I don't think it transfers to the screen very well. You're able to get a lot out of it. And I can appreciate that. But oh, I, I just <laughs> I can't get into it. Yeah, that's what I said. You and <laughs> a lot of other people don't don't really like part five much. Yeah, that's why I said I'm, I'm with you on the four and five stuff. That's kind of how I go. Well, for the most part. But mm. all right, let's go to your next one. Here we go. So this, the next one would be uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Just like I said before, but just because it was the most comedic, it's really, you know, far removed from, you know, Wes's original vision of Freddy and what who Freddy was and um, just that dark figure that's in the shadows and your dreams and, you know, your subconscious and, you know, partially in your waking life and, you know, it, you know, so it was it was a little removed from that, and you know, just too much of the comedy played a big factor in why it, it it's more to the bottom for me. But like I said, I can always watch it. I can always watch it and enjoy it. You know, it's very early '90s. It's you know, it's got that early '90s feel. It's fun, but you know, just little little too much too much comedy, not too much horror. Well, it's funny. I'm going to I'm going to this is surprising. I didn't expect this to happen, but this is where I actually have Freddy's dead. But for a different reason, than what it sounds like because you're kind of defending why you have to have it so low. And mine is just rewatching this franchise this year. It was a lot stronger than I remember this franchise being. Mm-hmm. As I said on our Friday, that's my favorite franchise. It was never nightmare like yours is nightmare. So I right. get it. All right. So, yes, I have it at seven, but I just think it's because it's got strong entries coming ahead. I mean, it's goofy and over the top, but they go for it. And because of that, I can respect it a little more than I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever would have put it below the remake ever. I don't think I ever would have put it below Dream Child. And it's only just below where it's at because of what's coming next. So go to your next one. <laughs> well, you actually might be surprised by this. I've actually gone just so back and forth. And I keep trying to put it somewhere else and that's it's hard but but still as of right now it's dream child okay and and i know it, it's kind of it might shock you because i was just saying how you know i felt like it was a darker story but there's <clears> something <throat> about nightmare four that still just grabs me that's just like mm, it's still just so freaking entertaining and I obviously I found you know Dream Child entertaining. It was just a different type of entertaining, and sometimes it's hard for me to actually put it into words. But I do. It's like some days I go back and forth. Like Randall said, okay, okay, five is before four, and then like the next day, well, okay, four is back in front of five now. It's like I don't. It's like those two. It's just, it's just <laughs> something that just you know just okay. tweaks at me every time. Okay. Well, my next is. Dream Master, and it's just because I find everything else stronger. I find mm-hmm. the characters in the other one stronger. I know everybody loves Alice. I think she's fine. Mm-hmm. But, and I think this is the better of her two performances. I, I see what you're saying about Five, but I liked her better in this one. Mm-hmm. We get her early enough on. It works for me. Yes, you get MTV Freddy with the shades and everything else that we talked about. And we get the mm-hmm. the whole people on a pizza and the soul food and all this like crazy <laughs> shenanigans stuff in this one. 
But yeah, this is where I put my Dream Master. All right, moving on through. This is number five. Yeah, so then this is where I put my Dream Master. <laughs> These two are back-to-back for you. Yes. Yeah, so. One way or the other, they're back-to-back. They're yeah, they're always back to back somehow. So, like I said, it's it's a fun sequel. Um, I mean, you know, it you know, like I said, Freddy was basically a rock star at this point, and you know, we we get these brand new characters. You know, we have the older, you know, the previous characters, and like I said, it has part four has one of my favorite death scenes, which is the, the kiss of death, and I thought that just always is such a nasty and you know, this kind of, this uh, gets under your skin type of kill, you know, so it was very imaginative with those kills. Like I said, Debbie's, like, you know, like I said, I couldn't eat the school cafeteria pizza after watching her death scene and, you know, so it was just a good one um, in that regard. Um, And like I said, I like how Alice, you know, went from meek to very strong by the end. You know, she she really kind of found herself which, you know, and you can kind of see it. You you know, it, it, some of the parts are where, like I said, you want the MTV Freddy, you, you can really see Alice growing in this film. It, it doesn't just happen like, well, where did that come from all of a sudden? I mean, you really see her. It's like pretty much as the last of the Dream Warriors die, you just see her from that point, just basically just starting to just rise. Okay. Now it's my turn to break your heart. <laughs> oh, God. Yep, at number five, and it's just because of how strong I feel about these other ones at this point in my life, and I used to probably put this one at the top, but now I put it here, and that is the original Nightmare on Elm Street from 84. What? Heather Langenkamp's good. I don't think she's great in this, though. Her performance is not great. The character's great, but her performance as a teenager is not great in this. Oh. (laughs) Like I said, it's time for me to break your heart. I know. Oh I know. my gosh, man! Look, I'm look. I look. I I kind of like, like gave you like a bandage and like a soda, but you just like stomped on me. <laughs> hey, uh, yep, that's where I'm at. That's where I stand. I know. I was I was finding it strange when I made these rankings myself, but I was like, eh, I can't lie about it. Got to just put it where I feel it goes. Oh man. Oof, nightmare community. I'm sorry y'all had to hear that. Mm. Oh man. Okay, let's just keep going. I got I gotta get over this one. Oh man. <laughs> yep, keep going. All right. So my next one after four will be number two. Like I said, I, I do enjoy two. I told you I just felt like you know the story was a little you know, just a little imbalanced, you know, I just wish it was more a little like cohesive, had a little bit more structure to it. Um, but even, I mean, I love that. Like, I thought everybody did good in their roles. Like the acting was good. I, I thought you know, like, obviously Freddie was dark in that one. He was scary. Um, and that plays a big part, you know, and I really love the score to nightmare too. It's different from, it doesn't use any of like Charles Bernstein's original score. Like, all the rest of the sequels do. It has its own. It's always its own little, own little entity. Like you know, its own little bubble. You know, because it was the one that was really the most different. Because Freddie like really comes out in that one. You know, at the pool party and you know just the, those whale sounds of like you know just certain time somebody's dying. It's like it's it's really unsettling. You know, and it's something that can kind of get under your skin a little bit. 
So um, even with all those, you know, like I said, some of those, you know, things with the story, it, it, it does, it has a really haunting, you know, factor to it. You know, it's still very scary. Yeah, I agree. I'll talk about it in a minute, but not yet. <laughs> look, I'm gonna get it all out right in the right here, right now. I got your one. I'm taking your other. That's new nightmare. I think <laughs> this is Heather's best performance overall, without a doubt. I definitely yeah, think that. I do agree with that. And we, I know we we were discussing Scream pre thing pre recording, and I I said I think it's too long. This movie's too long. It doesn't need to be an hour and fifty minutes. You shorten that up, I'd probably raise it up higher, but I feel like it drags just a little bit because of that. I, I'd like to see some stuff shortened out. I'd have to go back and watch to see exactly what I'd cut because I, I feel like you could cut some stuff, though. Make this thing a little shorter. Let's bring in a little tighter. It's elevated horror. Nah, I don't like that term either. <laughs> <laughs> not not concerning to this. I don't like that term in general. general elevated yeah. horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds... Pretend, like I see those memes like do I watch some elevated horror or fuck it I'm gonna watch Halloween 3 again you know <laughs> it's like, yeah I only use it because I know it's just a thing that goes around now but I don't yeah. when, when I'm just like when they're defining elevated horror Wes Craven's New Nightmare would definitely fit in the elevated horror category I agree with that kind of as they kind of come with it you know now I mean even technically Psycho is elevated horror I mean, if you if you're really trying to break it down like that, if they're if you're going by what they're talking about, right? I can't disagree with any of that. So go ahead. What's your next? We're in top three now. So top three. So the next one is Nightmare Three, The Dream Warriors, which is a very very strong sequel. I thought it was a great comeback sequel because, like I said, because coming off of Part Two, which, like I said, which. You know, needed need a little bit more structure. Nightmare Three was had very good structure. It had very great characters. I thought everybody who was in their roles did amazing. All the teenagers. I mean, Jennifer Rubin as Taryn. I mean, she was amazing, and she was like twenty. Like she was actually older than Heather in that movie. I mean, and you just bought her as, as a teenager, and she just. I mean, she owned that part of like you know this this drug addict who was dealing with this, and I mean, she was just so good and. Ken Sago's playing Kincaid and Jennifer. I mean, everybody was just so good in their roles. I thought this film was so good. We, we learned a lot more about Freddie. We learned, like, you know, his you know, his mother, you know, that, you know, turns out to be the nun that's been helping Neil Gordon this whole time. So it, it definitely raises the bar. Like I said, it was the first one that was very imaginative with the technical effects, you know, just all the effects that were in it. Like I said, the early example of, like, these you know, very hard effects, especially with the budget that they had, that they were able to come up with this stuff. You know, Nightmare 3 is a very strong sequel, like a very strong sequel. I mean, and I can really understand why, like, a lot of fans will actually put number three over Nightmare 1. Like, I've, I've, I've seen that. Like, that's their favorite out of any Nightmare on Elm Street is part three. And, you know, I can really see it. You know, there was something about the bonding of those teenagers that then I'll say I will say that's one thing about the nightmare series. You don't have like, you know, the section where it's like, oh, you got the main girls over here or this jock is doing this or this and that. All the teenagers come together. You know, it you know, it, with these slasher movies with certain slasher movies or horror movies, you see like, oh, there's this group here or this group here that in the nightmare movies, all the teenagers come together. Nobody's trying to, you know, bash the other one or 
do this to this one or that. They all come together, which is something I always loved about the Elm Street franchise, which makes it, you know, stand out more. Now, this one, I get it. Nightmare Pierce aren't going to like this. But as a as a Jason guy, I like when Jason enters my Nightmare movie. And as I said, it's one of my favorite <laughs> theatrical experiences ever. This is where I put my Freddy versus Jason. I <laughs> debated putting this at number one just because this is probably the one I can rewatch the easiest and go back to. Especially mm-hmm. when you get to the end and they make it to Crystal Lake and Freddy, they bring Freddy out into the real world. I can watch that. Yeah. Any given time, any given day. Mm-hmm. All right. Definitely. Top to um, oh, here we go. Here we go. I've been waiting <laughs> on this for months. I don't think you're gonna like my answer. <laughs> I'm okay. So everybody out there, when it comes to to this part, it's been this way for me since I was thirteen. Years old. That's why I want to put this in the context. So it's not like, well, why is he saying this? It's been this way for me for like 20 years. So A Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven's New Nightmare are both my number one. I consider them, I, I can never like say, when somebody asks me what my favorite horror movie is or my favorite movie in general, I always tell them A Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It's both. And and it's, I know it's so weird for a ranking because like, where does a, a number two fit in? I'm like, I'm like, it's so hard for me because these two films, they're just two masterpieces. And and I, like I said, I fell in love with the original Nightmare when it first came out, and I fell in love with New Nightmare when it first came out. And I, those are the the two when they first came, when I first saw them that I had to keep watching them over and over again. Like like I said, the original Nightmare, I watched that for days and weeks. And as soon as like I saw New Nightmare, we I rented it at my cousin. And then the next time I went to the video store, I rented it, you know, so I could watch it. And then when I was able to buy it, I bought that, you know. Like I said, Nightmare is the film that made me want to write a new Nightmare brought the same thing out of me. I was like, I I want to create something so magical and so creative that it just goes beyond the scope of what people are expecting or what they think. And I felt like these two films like did that and they, they did that for me. So it's always hard for me to say, well, this is number one and this is number two. But I knew I was doing this show, so for the sake of the show, I would say New Nightmare as my number two, but only because it came <laughs> later. <laughs> oh, man. Uh- but I wanted to put all that in the context first so it would make sense. Okay. Okay. That's for my number two. And I used to not like this one that much. I mentioned it when we talked about it. Freddy's Revenge. I really came around a lot on this one. Yeah. I love the dark, scary Freddy. Mm-hmm. I love the pool stuff. I love how fast it goes. I get you're probably right. I probably could flesh it out more. But I love mm-hmm. a short movie now. <laughs> Something I can get in and out with. That's just like a dream come true for me these days. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned it. That leaves 
the original as your favorite just because it came out first. And it's the first, it's my first horror movie. Yeah, that, 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 that first helped. Horror movie okay. I saw. Yeah, it's the first horror movie I ever saw. And it was my gateway into all other horror films. So that's the way, if I could justify breaking it down, which is it, like, ugh, I get like, oh, I don't want to say it like that because like, I love both of them. But if I can break them down that way so it can make more sense because I saw it first, you know, it's it was the catalyst. I used Nancy Thompson. Thompson is the template for my heroes and my heroines in my writing. And and it was mostly due because of that first film. So when I say I'm always, there was something that Will Smith said once I heard him say, this was years ago. He said that he, in his mind, he's always chasing after Michael Jackson's thriller. You know, and I was like, I didn't understand that at first. When I first heard that I was about maybe like 14 years old, 15 I hadn't really like written a book at that. I was mostly short stories. And I was like, oh, I was like, what does he mean? He's like chasing after that. I, I don't get it. And it wasn't until I was writing and I realized I was chasing after Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I'm I'm looking to write a story that how that movie affected me, that I'm able to write something that can affect somebody in that way, or even more so. You know, or get that, like I said, or get that same high in fear as that movie gave me. So I'm like constant. Every book I write, I'm constantly thinking about Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'll say, now I understand what he's talking about. Because, you know, Thriller is considered like one of the, like, like the top music video ever made, you know, which, you know, of course, you know, I see that, of course. So I understand what he's saying now, older and having more experience in writing what he meant in that way okay and you reference these people throughout i'm one of those people dream warriors i just mm-hmm. love this movie i love the, i love the aspect of being able to pull other people into your dreams yes going into other people's dreams that's just a cool concept to introduce i get what you're saying about nancy's death but i do like the fact that they brought her back for this one mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of the the kills i mean the tendon oh, kill Playing him like a puppet. Oh my goodness, it's just so Ooh. awesome to watch from 1987. The the big snake Freddy or whatever you want to call him that he eats when he's eating Kristen. I mean, it's just amazing stuff to look at. So yeah, Dream Warriors. I had the most fun watching this one. Oh yeah, it's definitely a fun one. Like I said, it's, it's you know, kids in this situation and they literally become warriors. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it's amazing. Like there was nothing really like dream warriors back then in the 80s like that type of a sequel right you know there was really nothing like that at that time because you know nothing really no other franchise could really be imaginative like nightmare could you know even though you know friday the 13th that turned into a supernatural series it wasn't on the level of nightmare on elm street and you know michael wasn't really in the 80s and even if they it was like that he there wouldn't be no way they could really do anything like that with the halloween story no i didn't know that so nightmare was very unique in being able to do that and i think that's why it's it's the it can be celebrated that way but also in a way it's given it the most problems and like you know the fact that you know because robert's the only one that's played freddie so you know fans they want robert as freddie when it comes to jason and michael anybody can be behind that mask you know so it so nightmares always look at it as this gym it's like you know you have it but it's hard to control it because 
there's so many different aspects to it that makes it more complex than your that's why I say it's not real a typical a you know a typical slasher film because it's so much more than that throwing somebody else behind the mask and delivery like oh like this isn't really Freddy but somebody can put on that that Myers mask and just walk and just stab somebody and be like oh okay you know what I mean that's what yep. Michael does or that's what Jason does he can be behind right. that you know so it's Nightmare is just being in that that stigma being very complex, a very complex horror franchise. So do you want to see Robert lace up the boots one more time, go into the makeup one more time? I would love to see him do it one more time because, I mean, it's been all about legacy characters, you know, lately. You know, we've seen it with Linda Hamilton returning, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis returning, um, you know, Scream 5 cast returning. I mean, it's just you know, legacy characters. And even in the new Texas Chainsaw, they brought Sally back, even though it wasn't Marilyn Burns because she passed away, but they brought that character back, you know? Yeah, I thought that was so, a mistake. Yeah. If you have the I, actress, I get it, but if you don't, just leave that storyline alone. Yeah. Don't try to capitalize off of it. Yeah, I would have left it alone, too. And but yeah, I see so, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would love to see him at least one more time, and then after that, I mean, I've surrendered to the fact that if we want more sequels, then we have to accept that somebody yeah. will have to be, you know, wearing that glove. And, you know, I, you know, the older I've gotten, I've just, I've just surrendered to that fact. I mean, we have to, you know, but I would also love to have Heather come back as Nancy, you know, to play that character again. I mean, we've seen all these heroines return. When is Nancy coming back? And to me, she's like, she's, a, like such a badass heroine like we need that we need her to come back you know she shouldn't be put on the back burner somebody really needs to listen to the fans and what the fans are saying and bring this character back all right so are there any favorite kills you want to mention kills yeah any favorite kills you want to talk about well i did well like i said I know you mentioned Sheila's, the kiss of death one. Sheila's kiss of death is definitely like one at the top, but I'll also say Tina from the first nightmare. I mean, that whole, I mean, really just starting from when she opens that back door and like, is anybody there? And then she's just calling her name and then into that alley scene. That alley scene is what traumatized me the most watching Nightmare on Elm Street. Like anytime I would have nightmares about Nightmare on Elm Street as a kid, it always started with the alley scene. And even now, I don't really have like a lot of nightmares now. I think just being a horror fan, I'm just so desensitized. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't have nightmares don't. now. <laughs> when I randomly do have one about nightmare, which maybe like once a year or something, it's always the alley scene. Oh, okay. That alley scene really it it really left an imprint on me because it was horrifying as a kid. Like I said, five years old and just you know her just being in that alley and then him just coming up behind her with that silhouette and then like his arms stretching out. I was going to ask like, you, did he have the elongated arms in, in your nightmares? In my nightmare, in my, no, it didn't long, it was just, it's, it's just mostly just sometimes I'm, I'm like a watcher where I'm just seeing it happen. I start to in like in the dream in my own nightmare, I always feel like the sinking feeling because it's like, I know what's going to happen. And it's like the dream gets dark because I know like Freddie's coming in. It's like, oof, you know, there's something about that alley scene. It's like even because I actually got to go to that alley back in 2018 when we went on our uh, California trip. We found the alley, and you know, t- it's it really is behind 
the house that they use for Tina's house. Um, and it's right there. And then just being back there and it's like, oh, like this is where it happened. And like we were imitating the, the arm stretch. And, you know, it's, you know, that alley looks way cleaner now than it did back then. Because, you know, Venice was known as the slums back in the 80s. So, you know, it was like kind of gritty. And like now that alley looks like it looks magnificent. Like I said, I feel like somebody could pitch a tent back here and live. Like it's so it's so clean. <laughs> but yeah, that that scene in particular. And I would say Mark's death from part five. I just always thought that, that was really crazy. I mean, because he was a comic book person, he turned into a comic strip and he's like, you know, basically slashed to death as a paper comic. You know, this, <laughs> you know, it's just so really different and, you know, interesting. So I was kind of like, I would say those are probably like my top three. Those three, Tina, Sheila, and Mark's death are probably my top three deaths. Okay, yeah, I definitely agree on Tina. I still love the Johnny Depp bed death where he eats oh, yeah. yeah, I love that. <laughs> but I think the one I really came around on, you had mentioned it when talking about it, was Carlos. When he gives him oh, that yeah, really super here. sensitive hearing and mm-hmm. drops the pin, and then he drops all the pins so he can't catch right. it. And then he goes to the nails on a chalkboard, and eventually it just gets Ugh. so much, it literally makes his head explode. Ugh. I mean, it's just Ugh. such a cool death. It's gruesome. It is. He's tormented. I mean, that's a, yeah. I mean, he's literally tormented. He just, he's that. playing with his food, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up. Let's tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find information on this Fred Heads once again. So, in case they forgot, make sure everybody knows those good details. Well, you can always find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for Anthony Brownlee. Um, You typically always find me popping right up, (laughs) always with something horror on the page. (laughs) And uh, with Fred Headstock, same thing. All you look is just for Fred Headstock on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll have updates. Uh, We'll have uh, videos of showings, um, any news coming up. Um, we always post, so we always pretty much keep up with the information um, as we get information. All right, sounds good. I'm personally hoping for a physical release. That's what I want to see. <laughs> well, for that, all I can tell you all out there is stay tuned. That's what I like to hear. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> all right. And as always, you can follow the show at YNF Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. The easiest thing, go to linktr.ee slash YNF Movie Pod. Find us social media platforms, podcast platforms, YouTube channel, which if you check this video out on YouTube, you will get to see uh, a good display of Anthony's signed posters in the background of his video throughout the video. So, yeah, he's got all those signed and looking nice. Yeah, see, there you go. (laughs) Make sure you check this one out on YouTube. And next week, I think Chris will be joining the show to be talking about Rejuvenator. A lost horror gem from the 80s that I don't think a lot of people know about. And we'll keep the horror going as at the end of the month we'll have Blair Witch Project. I'm having Ed from the Film Effect podcast come on. And then going into November, Film Effect November with the rest of his co-hosts join the show for the whole month of November, at least the first four weeks. So until then, you guys take care. And I'll talk to you next time.
Lightning.